you can do all the planks you want, but if you're relaxing your diaphragm, your core is going to be more unstable or less stable, which is probably the better way to, to phrase it. Diz Runs Radio, episode 877, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. y'all here we go getting getting ready a little bit of listener q a today uh hopefully gonna be a, a good time hopefully the voice holds holds up because it's gonna be a long one it's gonna be a long we got a lot of questions today i don't even know how many i lost count somewhere somewhere north of 30 i think um so lord knows how long this is gonna be uh but before we get into it just want to uh let you all know in case you're you're new around these parts welcome this is something that we do each and every month the last Friday of every month is dedicated to your questions, my answers, hopefully a little bit of advice as we go along. And uh, if you want to get your questions entered, you can send them to me any old way, but hands down, the best way, the, the, the pretty much the only way to make sure they don't get lost in the shuffle somewhere is to get your questions in into the Facebook group. So uh, we have a Facebook group. If you point your browser over to disruns.com slash Facebook, it'll direct you right there. You can also just next time you're on Facebook, just search for the Disruns tribe, ask to join. We'll let you in. And then somewhere somewhere about a week and a half out before the, the episode. So uh, the Wednesday before the last Friday, which sometimes is the second to last Wednesday, sometimes not so much, uh, but that's when the, the post will go up. It says, hey, what are your questions for this month's Q&A? You reply with a question or several in the comments, and uh, bada boom, bada bam, here we go. Ten days later, we've got uh, the answers for you. And uh, like I said, we got a lot of questions this month. Uh, one last announcement, one last reminder before we get into the questions. Um, if if you haven't let me know yet, uh, if you're interested in you know having your own interview, your own episode of the show, uh, still looking for more folks. I, I mean, we still got plenty. We still got. Uh, a lot of folks that have raised their hand to be interviewed, uh, you know, throughout this this year's project of like interviewing as many of you guys as possible. Um, so, you know, still working our way through the list. But if you if you're interested, uh, that's something I'm I'm excited to do um, through the sixth year of the podcast is to to have as many of you guys on the show as possible. So, if you haven't let me know already, uh, send me a message, an email, whatever whatever works best to you. Social media, snail, you know, snail. Uh, messenger pigeon, pigeon snail mail is what I was going to try to say. Um, smoke signals, whatever it is. Uh, if you're if you're up for uh, getting on the old hot seat, we'll make room for you. We'll make room for you. So let me know. So now, without any further ado, let's uh, let's get into the questions, shall we? And with a little luck, my voice will actually hold up. Although no promises, been dealing with a little bit of a, of a scratchy throat uh, the, the early part of this week. Actually, feels pretty good today. Got a feeling it's going to be wrecked by the time it's all said and done, but. You know, we'll we'll see what happens as we go. So the first question this this month comes from Rob says, "Who will win a Super Bowl first, your Detroit Lions or my Cleveland Browns?" I mean, you know, Rob, that's that's that is a question. I, maybe maybe the better question is who will actually just you know play in a Super Bowl first. Like like one of those teams has to get to a Super Bowl before either of those teams can win it. Uh, judging by current form, uh, both this year and last year. 
um, safe to say that the Browns are, are uh, uh, in the in the uh, you know have a better chance of getting there sooner than the Lions do. The Lions are pretty bad right now. Um, so so yeah, I mean I don't know. I guess we've got what 50, 55 years of precedent to say that neither team is is uh, likely to win a Super Bowl anytime soon. Um, so you know, I mean, I guess I'll go with the Browns just because I can't imagine a, a Detroit Lions Super Bowl in my in in the next fifty years. So maybe maybe as a Browns fan, maybe, as a long suffering Browns fan, maybe you can't you know envision that either. Um, I don't know. I mean. You know, hey, it's it's 2020. What would be the? It doesn't look good now, but I mean, you know, the only thing more 2020 would be a Lions Brown Super Bowl this year. Um, I mean, that's not going to happen. Maybe the Browns. The Browns might have a chance. The Lions don't. But uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, probably the Browns will win it first. But I'm not holding my breath on either of those teams uh, breaking their Super Bowl uh, drought anytime soon. But thanks for the question, Rob. Good luck. Good luck to the Browns this year. I would say good luck to the Lions, but. Pretty sure that ship has already sailed. Next question comes from Sean. says, I am dealing with heel spurs. My doctor recommended C-shaped pads for my shoes. For now, I'm giving them a bit of a break, but I want to get back out there. Any suggestions for managing heel spur pain? So, uh, Sean, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough one because when it comes to, to heel spurs, and which for those that, that aren't aware, uh, basically like little calcium deposits, little growths of bone on your actual you know heel bone on your calcaneus, and uh, those things don't just kind of go away on their own. Like that's something that's going to be there uh, forever, uh, at least until you go in. Uh, potentially, it gets bad enough so you go in with you know surgery uh, and actually like shave the the bone down, shave shave the spurs out, and uh, you know kind of get back to to the bone being shaped as was originally designed. So um, you know there's there's not a whole lot you can do to actually solve the problem, which is usually like my, my go-to advice, right? When it comes to injuries, I'm like, Hey, solve the problem. Stop trying to manage the symptoms. Stop trying to worry about, uh, you know, putting band-aids on the, on the, the, the issue, uh, and actually solve the problem. But in this case, I mean, band-aids are kind of all you can do. And the band-aids are, are the foam pads. I mean, you know, you get a, you get a foam pad, whether it's C-shaped, whether it's, it's O-shaped, whatever, you know, whatever works best for you. But the idea is to take the pressure off the spot where the, the, the heel spur is right where the bone spur is. Um, so that when you're running, when you're walking, just in regular life, um, nothing is is pressing down on that spot uh, where where the bone spur is, where the heel spur is. Um, you know, and hopefully you can you can manage it for as long as possible before you have to get in there and potentially get them shaved. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's not really else much else I can I can do to to you know suggestions that I can offer. Uh, the other things that I would say is that sometimes heel spurs can cause more problems with plantar fasciitis. Um, potentially with, with kind of Achilles tightness, but that's, that's less likely, more likely to cause, uh, Achilles or I'm sorry, not Achilles, more likely to cause plantar fasciitis issues. So, you know, trying to just stay ahead on that front with stretching your calves, uh, working on your, your plantar fascia once in a while, a little bit of, of preventative proactive type of massaging there, get the golf ball out, get the, the lacrosse ball, whatever, and just kind of, you know, working, uh, on, on the plantar fascia to, to just stay in front of it. That might help a little bit as well, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing really else you can do to, to manage it. It's just it's just when it gets bad enough, you go in there and get it uh, get it shaved down. Um, but but you know, like any surgery, you want to try to you know, if, as long as you can avoid it, uh, the longer you can avoid it without making something else worse, th- the better option it is. So get the pads, um, and good luck. Good luck. I, I mean, I I wish you the best. That's, that, those are painful. Those are painful. Not a whole lot of fun. 
Uh, but hopefully the pads can really help to, to take some pressure off it and then just kind of try to try to do the best you can for as long as you can. Um, ugh, heel spurs are not, not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. So sorry to hear about that, Sean. Uh, next question. Next couple of questions, both from Barb. First one, if you wanted to improve your 5K time, is it more beneficial to run longer distance to improve your endurance? Or is it better to focus on short sprints and speed workouts of one to two miles? If it's a combination, how would you mix it up? So, uh, Barb, um, I mean, I have to say the endurance part, right? I have to say to, to, to build your endurance because that's, I mean, that's, that is heart rate training, right? That's heart rate training in a nutshell is anything that's, that's a endurance event, which certainly a 5k is an endurance event. I mean, you're not sprinting the whole way through a 5k. I mean, as I've said before, technically anything over about, um, you know, over probably over 400 meters. Although you can make a strong argument that 400 meters is even a, it's kind of a, a hybrid endurance and sprint event, but anything over over that. So like half mile and beyond is absolutely an endurance event, you know? Uh, so, so building your endurance is, is hands down the, the best thing that's going to, that's going to help you to improve your 5k time. That said, and something that I, I've, I've been recognizing much more recently that I, I, I don't always make as clear as maybe I, I can and should is that it's still okay to do some speed work, right? Like, like, you know, to get faster in the 5k, to get faster in the marathon, to get faster in, in any distance, a little bit of speed work is, is beneficial. A little bit of speed work is helpful. I mean, even, even Maffetone himself, Mr. Mr. Heart rate training himself is like, yeah, there's a time and a place to push yourself, to push the pace, to go hard. All right. Where, where a lot of runners get in trouble, and maybe why I've downplayed it so much, is that you know you, you, you give you give runners a little bit of leeway. You say, yeah, you know, do do some speed work once in a while, and, and and what you hear is not what I said. You know, so I say once in a while, or maybe I don't communicate it well, right? Like like I say once in a while, I'm like, yeah, you know, every couple weeks, three weeks, once a month, something like that. You know, really get after it, push something hard. And then what you hear is like, well, maybe you know, at least once a week, maybe maybe twice a week, I should be doing speed work, and like, no, that's too much. So, so for you, Barb, without knowing, you know, the, the, all the intricacies of your training plan, of course, um, I would definitely say it's a combination. You know, if you're trying to get faster in the 5k, you're trying to get faster in anything. Definitely. It's a combination of, of working your endurance and also trying to do some shorter, harder, uh, efforts, but it's not like a one-to-one it's, it's, you know, and again, it's going to depend on, on each person's situation, what their, what their, uh, base level of fitness is like, how long they've been running injury history, uh, injury risk. I mean, there's, there's a whole host of things to consider how often you run, you know, how many times per week, et cetera, et cetera. But I would say probably at least like four to one for, for endurance to, to speed work, which maybe coincidentally, maybe not kind of translates to like 80, 20, right? So like, like for every four base building endurance focused runs where you're running easy. So that could be long runs as long as you're keeping your pace easy, of course. Um, and then you're, you're, you know, shorter, easier runs throughout the week. Um, you know, for every four of those, maybe then you mix in a, a good hard workout. Um, but I mean, you could do short sprints. You could do like quarter miles. You could do uh, one minute repeats, two minute repeats. Of course you could do, you know, re- repeats out to like one or two miles. I mean, of course those are, those are helpful as well. Um, there are, you know, when you, when you kind of mix up the different types of speed workouts, you're working slightly different body systems. So you're working, you're, you're challenging your body in slightly different ways. Um, the, the key is to just go hard in them. Right. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's not a huge difference for most of us. You get to the elite level, of course, there's a difference. But for, for myself, don't take this the wrong way, Barb, but I'm going to say probably for you as well, um, you're going to get, I mean, 
99.9% of the same benefit from doing short repeats versus longer repeats versus tempo runs, right? Like there's some subtle differences and, and, you know, save all your, your hate mail about trying to, to split hairs about what the, what the benefit is of a tempo run versus a 400 meter repeat. Cause there's differences. I get it. But as far as like for, for most of us, the, the difference is negligible. As long as we're doing a good hard workout once in a while, we're getting the benefits, right? So, uh, mix it up once in a while with something hard, but for the most part, build your endurance, right? Because, because again, as I've said before, as I'll say again, you know, the, the, the top end speed that you can do for whatever, for a hundred meter dash for a quarter mile, whatever is, is hands down. It's faster than what you can do for your, your average pace for a 5k, right? So, so what that says is that you have the speed to run a faster 5k you just don't have the endurance to run that faster pace for the entire 3.1 miles. So if, as you build your endurance, you're better able to maintain more of that top speed over the duration of a, of a 5K race, over the duration of a 10K, half marathon, marathon, whatever. And that's how we get faster. Is We actually don't get, quote unquote, faster. We just don't slow down as much, right? We don't, we don't fade as much at the end of a race. And even if you look at, at the 100 meter dash, if you look at Usain Bolt, the reason that he wins, not anymore because he's not really uh, racing competitively anymore, but the reason that he's you know the best 100-meter sprinter arguably ever is that he doesn't slow down as much from, from 60 meters to 100 meters as the rest of the sprinters do, which is why it's always close through 60 meters, and then the guy's gone. It's not that he got faster. He just stayed. He just held his pace better. Everybody else fell off. Same thing at any distance. You don't need to be able to get faster you need to be able to not slow down as much to then have a faster time or a shorter time or whatever, improve your time in those longer distance races. So hopefully that makes sense, Barb. Uh, definitely you can do both, but if you're just going to do one or the other, focus on endurance, focus on endurance, make that the primary, make the, uh, the speed work a little bit of a, you know, an accessory, a little, uh, you know, a, a little bit of that goes a long way. That is for sure. So thank you for the question. Second question from Barb. I had a new a uh, new to running friend asked me how to breathe when running. I know my explanation was not clear to her. So when someone asks, how do you breathe? What do you say? Um, this is one of those that, that, you know, try to keep it as simple as possible, but yeah, the simple doesn't always make sense, but in through the nose, out through the mouth is, is the best answer. Um, when we start running, that's a little bit harder to do. You start working harder. You're trying to get more oxygen in quicker. We, we just tend to breathe through our mouths that way. Um, but then, then the, the kind of the second simple, hopefully simple answer is to breathe in for like a two count, which is like two strides. So you breathe in when your left foot hits, you keep breathing in when your right foot hits. And then when your left foot hits again, you breathe out just for one, one breath. Okay. What, what, what a lot of folks end up doing is they, they get into an even breath pattern. So they're in for two out for two, they're in for three, they're out for three. That's fine in theory, but what ends up happening and, and this is start getting technical. So maybe you don't want to give this, this full definition to your friend, but for those that are curious why that odd pattern in for two out for one or in for three out for two. So that it ends up that full cycle is either three beats or three, you know, three steps or five. You start going up to seven in, in for four out for three. That's a bit too much. Um, just in that it's, I mean, that's a long time to breathe. I mean, that's, that's, whew, that's tough to even think about. Uh, but the reason that that's beneficial is that every time you start to breathe, you know, the process, what happens in inside your body is that your diaphragm relaxes right? That's how we breathe in. Your diaphragm relaxes. It lowers the, the, the pressure 
inside that, that literally the air pressure in your lungs, which allows for the, the oxygen and the air in our environment to then come into the, into the lungs. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's simple air pressure dynamics or, or mathematics or physics or whatever you want to call it. Um, but that's how we breathe. And so when you, when you relax your diaphragm, that makes your core less stable because your, your diaphragm pretty, pretty key stabilizer in our core. Right. Um, so when, when you relax your diaphragm, your core is less stable, you're more wobbly. And if you're doing that in a, like a two in two out pattern, then it's always going to be that you're relaxing your diaphragm when your right leg is hitting the ground. In theory, that's not a problem, but it can also in theory lead to some potential issues, maybe some more like an IT band type of issues, which is what happens when your, your psoas muscle starts to, to try to make up the slack uh, for a, a, a looser core or a weak core, an unstable core, which you can do all the planks you want, but if you're relaxing your diaphragm, your core is going to be more unstable or less stable, which is probably the better way to, to phrase it. Um, when you're breathing in, if you're always doing it on the same side, if you're doing that two and one or three and two pattern, one breath cycle, you're starting that inhale pattern. You're starting to create that instability in your core. When your right leg is on the ground, the next pattern through, or the next cycle through it's when your left leg is on the ground. So it just helps to keep things a little bit more balanced, a bit less likely that you're always putting a little bit more stress on one side or the other, because it's, it's that odd breathing pattern. So I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe that got more confusing, uh, but the simple answer, breathe in for two, out for one, or breathe in for three and out for two, but try to keep it on that odd numbered pattern. Uh, and then just use it when you when your foot strikes the ground. So whenever your right foot hits in for two out for one, uh, then it's when your left foot hits in for two out for one and so on and so forth. So hopefully that helps. Um, but thank you for the, the question, Barb. Appreciate it. And hopefully that makes sense to your friend. Hopefully. And, and Hey, don't be afraid to point your friend the way. Uh, you know, go ahead and subscribe her to the show. You can listen in, get her questions answered. Um, instead of having to go through a middleman, although I appreciate you being the middleman, Barb certainly, certainly do. Uh, next question from Mr. Kennedy monthly book check-in. <sighs> and then Thessaly chimes in and monthly guitar playing progress. Um, so I, I guess I can split the answer here. Uh, I don't have much, uh, in the way of book check-in progress to announce, um, I have plans to do it. I have plans to get working on it. I have plans to do a lot of things. Um, and just haven't, haven't made the time yet. Pure and simple. Haven't, haven't made it happen yet. Um, there will be progress. There will be progress. It's just, uh, not apparently not any progress in the month of September. So hopefully October, hopefully October will have some progress. Uh, Thessaly's kind of follow up, uh, guitar playing progress. Yeah, we have a little bit there. I've uh, been working on a new, a new song. Um, Working on on Lie in Our Graves, which has got a, a little uh, uh, something that I've struggled with a lot in the past. When it gets to a little bit more finger picking, as opposed to, or I guess not finger picking necessarily, but you know, hitting one string at a time, one note at a time, uh, instead of strumming, because uh, I'm not I'm not as uh, great at keeping track of which strings I'm on at the same time. Like I can just strum, I can hit the whole, hit all six or all, you know, hit the top three or whatever I need to do. Like that I can do, uh, but hitting one string at a time without, you know playing too much of the other strings to kind of muting some and hitting something like that's a little bit more difficult for me, but, but not for nothing. Kind of hitting that lie in our graves bit a little bit of bump, 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 bump. And like, got, got a little something there. Got a little something there. Still, nobody's still, nobody's confusing me with Dave Matthews. All right. So let's not, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting cocky here. I'm just saying it made a little progress on a new song this month. So, Hey, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. Um, although I think, I guess, 
I guess honestly, I should be more I should be more focused on making progress on the book than making progress on screwing around on a guitar, right? But you know, I guess I, I can get away with screwing around on the guitar in the evenings a bit more than I can get get away with getting work trying to do some extra work when it should be family time. But look, guitar time that can be family time, work time maybe not so much. So that that's gonna be my my default excuse for why the guitar progress has has continued. The book progress has also continued, but on that front, it's a lack of progress. Thanks for, for holding my feet to the fire, though, Chris. I appreciate it. And uh, one of these months, I'm going to be able to answer in the affirmative that, yes, there is progress. We have gotten some some work done there. Uh, and it's not just going to be in my head work. It's actually going to be like words have been added to the document, and we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. But marathons and metaphors will be coming eventually. Just uh, not... Uh, not not this month, not next month, probably not 2020. Still holding out hope that maybe 2021 will be the year, but I, I should probably should get started on it if we're going to make it make it happen in 2021, right? Or else we'll be, you know, a year from now going, yeah, you know, maybe I should get started on writing that, that second book again. And that's and that's not where we want to be. Uh, but thank you all for for holding my ho- hold me accountable there, uh, or at least trying to hold me accountable. Now I got to I got to do what I say I'm going to do. Um, next question, actually two questions coming from Ari. Uh, if I can only run twice a week. And one of those will be a long run. What should my second run be? Easy. Easy in that it's an easy question to answer and easy in that the answer is that you should run easy. Okay. Um, If you're only running twice a week, like, like you're running easy, you're running easy. Most, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe we're talking once one speed workout for that other run. I mean, I don't even know if I would say every month, every six weeks, maybe. Um, I mean, you know, again, easy runs should be the vast majority of the runs you're doing and, and there's nothing wrong with quote unquote, only running twice a week, but if you're only running twice a week, like most of those should be, should be easy. Now, again, as, as I'm talking my way through this, you could probably justify a, a hard workout once a month, right? Because you don't, you, you don't have to worry about like, like you have plenty of time to recover from a hard workout until your, your long run, hopefully, unless you're doing, unless you're running like Friday and Saturday, in which case everything's going to be easy all the time because you're not going to do a hard workout on Friday and then a long run on Saturday. Uh, but assuming there's a couple days in between those runs, like you might be able to mix it in once in a while, but you know, don't, don't get crazy here. Don't get, don't get, uh, don't, don't go too nuts. I mean, the bulk of your runs should be easy period. Um, whether you want to go full heart rate, full mafetone or not, that's you can, we can have that discussion. You can, you can kind of choose which, which, which way you want to go with it. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't sit here and say like, oh yeah, if you're only running twice a week, once a long run, once a speed workout, like, no, that, that makes zero sense on anything that I believe in terms of physiology, uh, how our bodies work, uh, the adaptations we're trying to make as runners, like it should be easy. It should be easy most of the time. And the second question leads into this as well. If I manage to squeeze in a third run, what should it be? And then you even say, Ari, that my focus and training at this point is distance, not speed, which is even more reason to just say, yeah, keep that one easy as well. If you, if you can consistently get a third run in, then maybe we can talk about, you know, again, once every couple, three weeks, making a speed workout. Um, but, but again, I mean, for the most part, work on running easy, work on building your base. And the best way to do that is to not push too hard, but to, to run easy, be consistent, get some of that time on your feet. Um, and then, you know, when, when you're able to have a more consistent three days a week, four days a week, if life changes down the road, you know, right. As, 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 uh, the world turns, uh, somewhere, you know, six months, eight months, a year from now, you're able to get more consistently out there, uh, in each week, then that's when it's more likely time to start thinking about adding in, you know, a, a proper speed workout every couple of weeks, something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I run, I run easy six times a week 
probably 23 out of the 24 days a month, right? Like if I, if I run six days a week times, times four weeks, which I know, but whatever, let's assume that every, every month is February and there's just 28 days per month. Um, I mean, I run easy at least, at least 23 of those 24 days, probably 24 of those 24 days, most of the time. Um, and I'm getting faster. So, uh, you know, and not that, not that speed is my focus either, like, like you Ari. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, and I'm not trying to put, you know, paint myself as the poster child of anything. Um, but this is one area, (laughs) maybe the only area where I like legitimately practice what I preach. So take that for what it's worth, but I believe in it fully and actually put my money where my mouth is on this one. So, um, running easy should, I believe should be the priority pretty much no matter how many times a week you're running. Um, again, there's, there's, there's an exception to every rule and that's not, not one size fits all advice, but, um, I think that makes sense for where you are right now, Ari. That's, that is for sure. But thank you for the questions. I uh, hope that was helpful. Uh, next couple of questions from Thessaly. Uh, what is the silliest excuse you've heard about why someone doesn't run? You know, I, I, I don't want to say I hate this type of question, but I struggle with this type of question of like, what is the, the best, the strangest, the oddest, the craziest, the most outlandish? like, like, I feel like I'm, I, I, like I get this extra pressure of like, all right, well, God, what, what is every excuse I've ever heard of anybody saying of why, you know, why they don't run. And, and I mean, I, I the reason I struggle with this, cause like whatever I, I say, there's probably something that's, that's, that's more ridiculous. That's, that's more silly, um, that I'm just not thinking of because I don't like put, I don't like stop for a day and a half and just think about the answer to this question. All right. Sorry if that, sorry to let you down on that one, Thessaly, but, um, I think I'll go with, I'll go with two. I think in the, in the blog post, I only gave you one. Uh, I'll give you two. Cause the second one's popped up. Um, I, 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 I kind of shake my head on the, uh, I don't run because it's, it's, you know, it's too hard on my, whatever, my knees, my hips, whatever. Um, because while, while like, that's one of those chicken or the egg situations, right? Where like, yeah, it might, it might be a little bit uncomfortable for, for you right now to go out and like, you know, run 10 miles. But like, I bet in most cases, and I, there's always, again, there's going to be an exception to every rule, but in most cases, like, oh, I don't run because it's, it hurts my knees too much. Well, if you started slowly, worked your way into it over the course of months, I bet you could start running a little bit. I bet you could get to a point where you could run a little bit, where your body would adapt, where you'd get stronger to where it didn't hurt your knees as much. You know, like same thing for your hips, same thing for your ankle, same thing for, for whatever. So, so that's one of those silly excuses about like, well, I can't run because it's, it's too hard on my knees, but, and, and again, it might be right now. It might be something where there's a little bit of a, of a, of a growing process, growing some growing pains, if you will, but hello, that's anything, right? Like if I went out and did CrossFit right now, like I'd be sore as hell for a week after a good hard CrossFit workout. But if I stuck with it in the span of six months, I could go out and do a good, hard CrossFit workout and I might be a little bit sore the next day, but like my body would adapt. Right. And so the same thing for those, those non-runners are like, Oh man, it's just, it just, it's, it kills my knees. Well, yeah, that's cause you, you, you do the, the family, you know, family 5k Turkey trot every year on Thanksgiving. And then you don't run again for another 365 days. And then you go out and try to hammer it again. Well, yeah, no kidding. That hurts your knees. But if, you know, if you tried to do like a quarter of a mile, if you did some run walk for a few months and then built up, so you're running a little bit longer and then running a little bit longer. And pretty soon you're able to run a half mile straight and then a, a mile straight. 
your body would adapt. It wouldn't be such a, an overkill at one time that it leaves you gimping around. So that's, that's one silly excuse. The other one that I, I feel like I've heard this once or twice. Um, and, and this is probably even like that one, the whole, it hurts my body. It hurts this, it hurts that. Like, you know, I mean, it, I can say it's silly, but like, I get it right. Like, yeah, it probably does hurt the first few times that you run or the first dozen times. especially if you're not consistent with it. Right. But then, then I think I've heard this one once or twice. I can't remember if I heard it on social media, heard it kind of in passing or whatever, kind of overheard somebody talking about it. But I know I've heard this somewhere and it's the whole, well, I, I don't want to lose too much weight, which just, just makes me laugh, right? Like we all know that, yeah, running can be a great way to help, help lose some weight a little bit, but it's not like you go run and all of a sudden, like you drop 30 pounds in, in two weeks of running. Like it, uh, it doesn't happen. And it, it's the same thing as the, well, I don't want to lift weight. I, I don't want to do strength training because I don't want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like you're not going to. You're not going to look like freaking Mr. Olympia or Mrs. Olympia because you, you you lift weights, you know, twice a week, three times a week for 20 minutes each time. Like that ain't happening. Just like you're not going to, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't need to lose any weight. So I, I'm not going to run because I don't need to lose any weight. Well, if you don't want to run, cool. Say you don't want to run. But to think that like, oh, I'm gonna, if I go out and do a couple miles, you know, once, once or twice a week, like I'm, I, I just, I just can't afford to lose 30 pounds. Like, well, that's not how that works. Like that's not going to happen. So I've heard that one once or twice. That's probably the silliest one. Um, but the more common one is the, oh, it's just, it's too hard on my knees. Well, come on, man. Like use it, you'll adapt, you'll get stronger. It won't bother your knees anymore. So those are, those are two answers. I don't know if either of them is the silliest, but you know, since I, since I struggle to pick just one, we'll go with two there. Uh, but then a more serious question, how can, um, how can we avoid becoming disheartened when we are quote unquote past our prime as runners, meaning we are slower than we were 10 years ago because life, age, time restrictions, et cetera. So Thessaly, I, I, that's, that's a great question. And, um, which not that the first one wasn't a great question, but you know what I mean? That's, that's a, like, I get it. It's a serious question. It's something that, that honestly, all of us at some point, if we keep running, like there's going to be a point where our PRs are, are in the past right? Where, where we were no longer going to be as fast as we were when we were 20 or when we were 30 or when we were 50, like, like depending on when you start, depending on, on what your experience is, you're going to have PRs. You're going to run the fastest you've ever run in this distance, this workout, whatever. And then at some point you're going to be like, damn, I haven't, I haven't come close to that pace in five years and 10 years. Uh, and I may never, and that can absolutely become, you know, a, a thing that we struggle with, especially when, that's kind of how we, we quote unquote, judge our value as runners. When, when, when we see our, like, and, and I, that might be a loaded way of saying it, but when we, when we, when we are focused on the clock, when we're focused on our finishing times, when all of a sudden those finishing times aren't getting any faster, in fact, they're moving in the other direction, no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we push on race day, it's physiology, right? We're getting older. Eventually we're not going to be getting faster. Um, it's tough. It's tough and it's easy to get disheartened. It's easy to be like, damn, like this, this sucks. I'm putting in all this effort. I'm putting in all this, this work and, and I'm, I'm getting quote unquote worse as a runner. You got to shift your view. You got to shift how you're thinking, right? You, you got to look at it as far as, as setting some different goals, as far as, you know, what can I do to, to move the goalposts a little bit so that it's not all about finishing times. And maybe it's something as simple as going, all right, well, you know, this, this year, Maybe not this year, 2020, because this year is a terrible example, but maybe, you know, somewhere in the future, hopefully 2021, 2022, whatever, when, when races are a thing again, and we got regular races and you can look at it and go, all right, I want to see 
what I can do in the 5K just this year or in the 10K or whatever, whatever race distance that you're going to run a couple few races in. Like I want to push myself to get faster between whatever, between May and September, I'm going to run, you know, six 5Ks. Um, I'm going to, you know, the first one's going to be kind of my test, my benchmark. Then I'm going to try to work to get faster than that just in that six month window, right? Because you're not going to compare to where you were 10 years ago. I mean, you can compare, but it, it might not be as favorable as you want it to be for all of the, all of the various, very legitimate reasons. But that's a shorter window. That's a kind of where are we right now and how can I improve right now? Or maybe you get, you know, into to an age group type of thing where it's like, all right, I want to run my fastest race in my 40s. And then, and then when you get in your fifties, it's like, I want to, I want to maintain, you know, wherever I am now throughout my fifties. So you, you kind of run some of those races when you're 50, you're 51. And then eight, nine years from now, you're like, all right, I'm trying to, to stay as close to that as possible. I may not be faster, but I don't want to fall off too far. You know, so, so you kind of move the goalposts on what fast is for you or what your, your best times are, because you know, you're not going to compare if you've been running when you're 25 and when you're 55, like odds are. Your 25, you know, 25 year old self is going to be quite a bit faster. You're going to recover better. Um, you know, the, the, the priorities change. Speaking of which your priorities change. So maybe you look for some longer distances. Maybe you look for some challenges that are multi-day events instead of, you know, single day, one, one race event. So you're, you're trying to, to be able to string together, you know, several days worth of, of running. So you're not trying to kill yourself figuratively. Of course, you're not trying to go out there and just kill it and hammer it and run as hard as you can today because you know, you got to run again tomorrow. So you're being smart. You're being more strategic. You're not pushing the pace as much because you got to, you got to conserve energy. Maybe you become more of a running mentor. So, you know, you join the local running community, the, the, the running groups, whatever. Um, and you help out some of the newer folks, you help kind of pace and encourage and cheerlead on the course and make that more of your focus. Then of course you're going to run slower because you're, you're running with somebody who's running their first, you know, whatever their first half marathon. And they're just hoping and, and I don't, I say just, of course, this is all relative, but their, their goal is like, I just want to, I just want to run the race in two hours and 45 minutes. And, and your PR days, you might've been 145. current day. You might be an easy 215 on a good day, maybe 205, 203, something like that. But you're like, you know what, instead of, instead of pushing myself and then beating myself up because I'm 15 minutes slower than I was 10 years ago, I'm just going to run with, with this, this, this new friend of mine. It's their first half marathon. I want to help support them. I want to help encourage them because I know they're going to have that, that struggle spot between, you know, mile eight and mile 10 and a half where it's just tough. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's still so much farther, but there's the light at the end of the tunnel isn't there yet. And I'm going to stick with them so that to this point I can be like, all right, come on, come on. We're doing good. Like, and just encourage and not worry about your time. You're here to help. So, so those types of things are things that you can do, um, to, to give your running some different purpose, some different meaning, uh, some, some things that you can continue to do, continue to enjoy, continue to excel at, no matter how much older you are, no matter how much slower you are than you used to be. Um, and, and still be a part of the running community, still enjoy the sport of running for forever. And, and, uh, hopefully that kind of starts the, the, the gears turning, right? Because there's a whole dozen ways that you can do those things, but it's just, it's about finding some meaning or finding a target, a goal that's not focused on pace. It's not focused on finishing time because you know, father time is father time and there's nothing we can do about it. And it beats the alternative, right? Cause the alternative is that you're not breathing anymore and you're six feet under and you're not running at all. So getting older is something we're going to, you know, that beats the alternative, but with getting older means that we're probably, you know, at some point our best days are behind us and we got to be okay with that and shift our focus to something else. Super focus to something else. So hopefully that helps. Desley. Thank you for uh, the couple of questions. Appreciate it. And uh, next one.
Next question, the uh, the the at least monthly question from Melody. Usually there's there's occasionally there's several. This month I think there's only one. Uh, but this one, this one, Melody, I kind of scratch my head here a little bit. So appreciate it though. Appreciate you, of course. Uh, but can you please explain running economy based on this and how it would be measured? So then there's a screenshot of uh, of something from Twitter, I think, uh, somewhere on social media. Um, that's that's like a running coach, somebody that. Uh, that Melody, you know, asked me to, for explanations on stuff this guy has said before. A guy that I actually asked to be on the podcast, and he was just like, "I'm too good for your podcast." Basically, what he said. Um, he's like, "Yeah, it's, it's a waste of my time." So, so admittedly, I already have a bit of a bias against this guy. Um, and and no, that wasn't the exact words that he said. But he here's the exact words. In case anybody wants to, to fact check me or to, to um, you know wants to call this guy out, which I, I don't even want him on my show anymore. Like, if that's how he's going to be, like, uh, whatever. Um, but I was like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? He's like, yeah, send me a list of exactly the questions you're going to ask so that it's not a waste of my time. And I was like, yeah, that's not how I do it. And then he ghosted me. I never heard anything back from him. So, um, so yeah. So, so again, I already have some bias against this guy. Uh, he, he's, from what I can tell, he, he knows some stuff. He's good. Um, working primarily with, with elite runners or at least semi-elite. So maybe that kind of clues you in a little bit here too as well. But Melody, here's, here, here's, here's the answer to the question. Everybody else, here's the, uh, the context. So it's, it's this screen grab of this, of this coach's um, message that says, Hill training has several proven benefits to runners. One benefit is improved running economy. In one study, runners who, in, who included Hill's training two times per week for 12 weeks boosted running economy by 3%. So again, back to the question, can you explain how running, can you explain running economy based on this and how it would be measured? So running economy, I mean, running economy does whatever. I mean, that's just kind of efficiency, right? It's, it's getting the most out of the effort. You know, the, the more economical you are as a runner means like the faster you're going to go at a given heart rate or the longer you're going to be able to go before running out of gas because you're getting, you know, more miles per gallon, just like you do with a car. Right. So, so running economy, more efficient runner, um, you know, faster at the same level of exertion, uh, can go longer, things like that. So basically like fuel economy, only running economy is just kind of running energy, how you can, can maintain, uh, fitness. So based on this, you know, how would it be measured? I mean, this is, this is where we're getting way, like way in depth, way into the weeds here. Um, so, so in this one study, runners ran the Hills, Hill repeats twice a week, which right there is telling you that, that that's more, more time spent working out in the Hills than I would advise most people to do. Certainly most people that like running is kind of the thing they do for fun and in something that the, you know, kind of a, a good hobby, but like not your job. All right. If, if you're doing Hill repeats or Hill workouts twice a week, then, then right there, at least in, in my head, you've got to be running 80 to hundred miles a week. Minimum. You've got to be spending hours each day doing recovery work getting 10 to 12 hours of sleep each night, like you'd be taking care of your body. You're going to break down. All right. Because if you, if you're, if you're running, you know, Hills twice a week, um, working a full-time job, taking care of a house, you know, running the kids around, taking, you do hitting the grocery store, um, doing this, doing that, cooking meals, cleaning the house, yada, 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 yada. You're probably only sleeping four or five, six hours a night to try to get this in. And you're probably only running, you know, only 30 miles a week, 40 miles a week. If you're running, if you're running 80 to 90 miles a week while also doing all that stuff, like I don't think you sleep. So right there we got problems, right? But if you're, if you're an elite ish runner, all right, well, maybe that all works out. Um, but then how do we measure the, that the economy improved by 3%? It, you do like a, a, a threshold test. Or you do like a, an all out like treadmill test, um, or a track test where you just kind of go and you just say, Hey, you know, run as many, as many laps as you can in, you know, whatever in, 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 in an hour 
or run as far as you can in an hour. Or um, we're gonna we're gonna hook you up to all kinds of electrodes, and we're gonna hold this pace um, until you know your your oxygen level gets to this, or, or what, you have some type of proven metric, right? And then we say that all right, so we have a control study, so we have this, this group that just does their normal training, this group that did two hill hill repeats you know, or two hill workouts per week for twelve weeks, and then at the end of all that, we do that same test again, and the running the the hill study group improved by three percent, which. For them, three percent could be the difference between like becoming a full time runner and still having to have a side job. So it's 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 substantial, but you know, for for you and I, like, I don't know, like that's how it'd be measured. That's what we're talking about. But like, I I don't okay, like okay, it's not going to change how I coach. It's not going to change how I train myself. Um, because there's a lot more low hanging fruit that I can do to improve my own running. There's a lot more low hanging fruit that most runners can do to improve their running than to be like, all right, well now we got to do, we got to do Hills twice a week so that we can get 3% more economical as runners. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or not melody, but that's kind of how you'd measure it. That's what he's talking about. And it's something that most of us, myself, absolutely included really like, okay, cool not going to worry too much about it. Mix in some hills once in a while. You know, when you're out running and you have a chance to, to hit a hill here and there, yeah, go ahead, hit a, hit a hill here and there. It's good for you. Builds strength, improves form, gets the glutes fired up. It's going to do, it's going to do good things for you. But I mean, so is just running more. So is just being healthy. So is getting good sleep. Like there's a lot of things that can help improve your running economy by a couple percent. All right. So, you know, there's that. There's that, but thank you for the question, Melody. Always appreciate hearing from you and, and seeing what kind of questions you throw my way each month. Appreciate you. Uh, next one comes from Karen. What is your warm up routine before you start your run? Also, do you do a warm up walk before you start running and a cool down walk afterwards? Oh yeah, do I do a walk? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, my warm up routine. I've talked about it before. I'll talk about it again. It's pretty set in stone at this point. So I do. I do a series of of you know, not like the full perfect lunge matrix. I do 32 lunges on each leg. So I do, um, eight forward on each leg, eight lateral lunges on each leg, eight curtsy lunges on each leg, and then eight reverse lunges on each leg in that order. I start with forward standard lunges, eight and eight alternating one side to the other, then lateral, you know, side to side, alternating curtsies, reverse lunges. Then I do some leg swings. I do, uh, like 12 leg swings with my legs swinging across my body side to side, you know, one, one leg slightly in front of the other swinging back and forth. Uh, and then 12 on the other side, then I do 12 forward and back. So I stand there and, and swing one leg, you know, kind of an exaggerated pendulum type of a situation front to back. Um, 12 of those on each side, ready to go, ready to go. I also do some, I, before I do the lunges, I do 20 jumping jacks. So that's, that's my, that's my warm up routine right there. 20 jumping jacks, lunge matrix, leg, leg swings, put the leash on the dog out the door. Um, do I walk before? I mean, I walk from like my door to somewhere between, um, the door and the driveway is when I start running. Um, and, and, you know, if we, if we want to get the tape measure out, we're probably talking about 20 feet, maybe 25 feet of sidewalk that connects my front door to my driveway. Uh, somewhere in that 20 to 25 feet is when we go from walking to running. Um, pretty much whenever I hit the, the button on the watch, right? I hit the button. All right, we're good to go. All right, let's start running now. Uh, sometimes we make it all the way to the driveway. Not very often. So that's, that's the extent of my walk beforehand. Uh, as far as my walk cool down, um, it just kind of depends on which driveway I shut it down at, uh, when we're finishing the run. Um, usually it's, it's either the first driveway before my house or the second. So my, my walk cool down 
is somewhere between, you know, we got the 25 feet or so from my, my house to my, my front door to my driveway from that spot to kind of the edge of the sidewalk. We got maybe another six or eight feet. Um, and then, you know, depending on which driveway it is, we got maybe, um, another 50 to a hundred feet, uh, between, between my driveway and, and whichever driveway I stop in. So we're talking about somewhere between, you know, 60 and 150 feet of, of walking. That's my walking cool down. Um, so needless to say, I don't do much warm up walk. I don't do much, much warm up cool down. Um, but part of the reason that I justify that, because you could make an argument that I should, right? But part of the reason that I justify that is I don't run hard ever. So, you know, like, like I'm running easy the whole way. Um, so my, my, you know, that, that drop in my heart rate from my running pace to like resting pace is like not very much. Um, I start, I start a little bit easier. I mean, if you look at my, my splits on Strava or whatever, like my first mile is usually my slowest one by a lot helps that the dog usually has to stop once or twice in that first mile to, to do what she needs to do. Um, and once we get that done, then we, then we just kind of cruise, but you know, stop first run or first mile slower. Usually kind of picks up the pace from there. Um, to where, I mean, I probably should have a little bit more of a slowdown for my, for my last mile. Um, but no, I don't. Should I? Maybe. Um, but I also usually have to get back because I've got a kid that's getting ready for school and I need to make sure that I got breakfast made and lunches packed and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's one of those where you could make an argument, but do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Although I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to tell you that you need to do a, a, a proper walk, warm up, walk, cool down. Just make sure you don't like, like, you know, finish a good hard repeat and then like walk right in the house. Like, that's what you don't want to do. That's where you want to have some type of, of cool down. And you certainly don't want to come out the door and just ready to hit it hard. Like you want to ease into it, ease out of it. So, you know, that can be walking. It could be easy running. It could be a little bit of both, whatever works best for you. And that's, and that's trial and error right there, right? Figuring out what works best for you, how you feel when you do it both ways. For me, just easing into the run, the first mile, walking that hundred feet at the, at the end of the second mile, um, and then get in the house and I'm, I'm still on my feet. It's not like I come in and just sit down, right? I come in, I'm in the kitchen, I'm getting breakfast ready. I'm packing lunches. I'm making sure Addison's getting ready. Um, I'm, then I might sit down on the couch to like do hair or whatever, whatever I got to do to make sure that the girls get out the door on time. Um, but it's not like I just come in and stop, which that's ultimately, I mean, again, that's something that's, we try to do with the cool down is don't just like go from running right to sitting right? Like to where the blood pools in your legs. Like I'm still up on my feet, moving around, making coffee, emptying the dishwasher, like whatever I need to do until the girls are gone and I can start my day. Uh, I'm doing those things. So I'm still up on my feet, kind of exaggerating the cool down. So maybe if we wanted to split hairs, we could say that I'm, I'm kind of walking for a cool down. I'm just not like tracking the miles at that point. So maybe I just talked myself into saying that I do a walking cool down. I don't know. I don't know. You'd be the judge on that one, but thank you for the question, Karen. Hopefully that uh, is helpful for you. Next question from Julia. This is is an interesting question. I'll get into it as we go here. So how should you go about taking an off season? This year, I took my quote unquote off season training for a 5k with lots of speed work, then moved into building back my base for an ultra with easy mileage. So while I did significantly less miles for 5k training, it was mostly harder workouts. Do either of these count as an off season? Is there a benefit to alternating for different race distances or should I just stick to one distance for a few cycles? So Julia, no, you did not take an off season. All right. Um, but in saying that you're not alone, you're in good company. So, uh, I, I actually posed this question to, uh, my, my coaching friends that I, that I meet with every, uh, every week, um, and kind of asked about what their, what their thoughts are on off seasons, a for themselves, B for the, the athletes that they coach. And we, we had a, a good discussion about this because it's one of those things where, um, like 
what even is an off season? Like, you know, to me, I feel like an off season is at least a month long. Um, you know, at least four weeks, probably closer to six, maybe as, as many as eight to 10, um, where you're really not running at all. You, you could probably get away with an easy run here or there. Um, but, but to me, and this is no like, like standard universal definition, but to, to me, my definition of an off season would be basically no running for an extended period of time. Not like a week or two. That's just a little break. You know, I mean a month minimum, probably closer to, to six to eight weeks would be a better target to me. That said, when have I taken an off season? I can't think of one. I mean, since I got serious about running, I can't think I've ever taken an off season. So, so all that to say, did you take an off season when you cut it down to, to do 5k training where you're hammering some, some speed work, even though you weren't logging as many miles? No, 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 no. That's not an off season. All right. The, the conversation between my running friends or coaching friends and myself was that, well, maybe it could be like cutting your mileage like in half, cutting it down to like a third of it of which. So like, you know, if you're running whatever, if you're running 50 miles a week, maybe you're running 15, you know, something like that. Um, maybe that would, maybe that could constitute as an off season to me. Again, if it's an off season, it's an off, it's not running. Note that not running means not, doesn't mean that you're not being active, right? You're still swimming, you're cross training, you're hiking, you're doing some strength work, doing some, like, like I would still encourage being active, right? We don't want to lose, lose a bunch of fitness, but as long as you're being active, like, yeah, you're running fitness. It might sag a little bit when you first get back to it, but it's not going to sag that much. And you're going to get it back pretty quick because you've been still active because you've been hiking and doing stairs and hitting the rowing machine and going to the gym and, and doing all kinds of other things, cycling, sp- spinning, like whatever. Um, so that's my definition. Now, do we, so, so back to your question, do either of these count as an off season? No. I mean, I, they, like 5k training with, you know, lower volume, higher intensity. That's definitely not an off season building your base back up. That's not an off season. Um, do you need an off season? I mean, in theory, yes, but for, for those of us, myself included, and maybe this is why I haven't really taken an off season ever. Like I need my running too, right? Like, like, as I've said several times, running makes me a better person. If I took an off season, like, I don't think I'd get through my full off season before Rebecca was like, go get out of the house and don't come back until you're a good person again. So, you know, like I need my runs, right? Like, like I've said that many times. So, you know, like I kind of can't take an off season. Um, but then of course it comes into making sure I'm being smart, being healthy, not trying to push too much, listening to my body, taking a day off here and there, taking a week off here and there. I've done that several times. Um, and those types of things have helped me. Uh, is there a benefit to alternating for distant or for different race distances or should I stick to one distance for a few cycles? Um, yes. Yes, Julie. I think, I think that the answer is, is yes. And both of them are good options. I think that there's, there's a lot of, of ways to say that, that you can, you can train for one distance and, and use that fitness to, to race strong in other distances. I think back to some of the, the folks I've had on the, on the podcast. Uh, some of these have been a, a while back. Um, Paige Biglin is one and gosh, that was, I don't know. That was maybe four years ago in the, in the two hundreds, maybe. Um, I think she's, she's the one, uh, who, who we talked about, like she ran her 5k PR like right off the back of marathon training. It was like a big PR, you know, she went from like 19, 20 minutes to like 17 something after marriage, like, at, like a week and a half after her marathon, because kind of the thought process was that she had logged so many miles. She was doing hundred mile weeks. Some of those peak weeks for her marathon training that she just built up such great endurance that even if her speed was a little bit lower than it, than it quote unquote 
had been if she'd been doing a bunch of hard speed workouts. Her endurance was so strong that she was able to push that faster pace for the whole 3.1 miles. And so, so to get back to your question, Julia, you know, is there, um, is there a benefit to alternating for different race distances? Like, yeah, you know, you can, you can use that, that speed work to, to maybe help, you know, increase your speed a little bit for, for the longer distance stuff. And you can use the endurance that, that you gain, um, while training for a longer distance stuff to race a little bit faster, to hold on to your, to your fitness a little bit, um, for the shorter distance stuff. So I, I think there's, there's certainly, you know, you can, you can, you can get benefits in both, both avenues, right? You can get benefits training for the 5k. That'll help you in the marathon. You can get benefits training for the marathon. That'll help you in the 5k, vice versa, everything in between. Um, but you can also, you know, focus on one race distance for a while, whether it's several months, you know, a year, year and a half, um, and kind of just focus there. It kind of depends on the person. Do you get bored if you're just focusing on one distance? Are you more injury prone where maybe mixing it up a little bit and working some different systems and, and ramping up the mileage and dropping it down a little bit and ramping it up and dropping it down might be more beneficial for you than, than, you know, bounce around. If you can, if you can kind of stay in that, in that, you know, happy place for a while, then you can do that too. I mean, there, there's no right or wrong way there. Um, just like maybe there's no right or wrong way about taking an off season, but, um, but I guess the moral of the story here is don't try to tell yourself that, oh yeah, I took an off season last year because I was training for a 5k. It's like, that wasn't an off season. All right. It's okay to not take an off season. Maybe not ideal, but I don't take one. So it'd be, it would, it'd be even beyond my scope of being a hypocrite to say that you should take an off season when I haven't taken one in, in forever. Um, and then, and then when we, as our conversation continued, uh, back to my, my coaching friends, we talked about, well, maybe, you know, like my, my one friend was like, well, you know, I had this one injury and then I got pregnant and then I had this other thing and then I got, you know, and it was like, well, pregnancy, all right, that one, that one was, was a good, a good reason to take some time off. Um, but like maybe if you had taken an off season, like she was like, well, I haven't really taken an intentional off season, but I got injured here and I did this and then I had a baby and, and I was like, you know, playing devil's advocate, maybe if you took an off season, you wouldn't have gotten injured. She was like, oh. Like, she's like, I hate that you said that, but like, maybe, but we don't know, right? We don't know. So, uh, moral of the story is be smart, take care of your body. If you, if you need to take a a little bit of a break, a few days, a week, cool. If you need, if you're feeling like really burnt out and you need to take just a month away, take a month away, you could probably run here and there, but don't be like, oh, I'm just going to run, you know, 15 miles a week. Like to me, that's still not an off season. That's just a cutback, which sometimes those are important too. Um, but off season is a slippery, slippery slope as far as what it actually is. Um, and, and how often we're going to take it. And for those of us, which I think most of us, that there's a lot more benefits to our running than just the running part, a lot of, a lot of benefits between the ears. Um, that, that maybe, maybe taking an off season is just not a proper off season. It's just not really going to happen. And I think I'm pretty firmly in that camp. So hopefully all that makes sense. Hopefully something in there was helpful, Julia. Thank you for the question as, as per usual, um, as another, as another person that typically chimes in a question every month. I appreciate you, Julia. That's what I'm trying to say there. So thank you. Uh, next question from Eileen. Uh, this is a, this is a good one right up my alley. Uh, I've really made an effort to heart rate train starting this past January. Honestly, about all I can do at this low heart rate is walk. My heart rate max is uh 113 according to the math formula okay so it's not her her overall max isn't that but that's the 180 minus age so you can figure that out uh as far as how old she is it's pretty clear uh since january i've had a birthday just a few weeks ago so so the question should i honestly keep my heart rate at 112 what are your thoughts thanks so eileen this is this is um this is a tricky one right because, I mean, you've heard me talk about heart rate training so many times, it's pro- at least probably in part of why you've gotten into it. Uh, I, I believe wholeheartedly 
the heart rate training has many, 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 many benefits that it's super helpful. No matter how old you are, how young you are, how long you've been running, how new you are to the sport, like building our base as endurance athletes is, is vital, is vital. That said, I'm going to give you an out if you want to take it. Okay. So first, first out is something that, again, I haven't done a good enough job of communicating this in some, some place. I'm trying to do better. So here's, hear me out on this one. Everybody hear me out on this one. When it comes to running, it should be fun first and foremost for all of us, right? If you're not enjoying your running, we need to figure something out to make it enjoyable. So my, my first comment to you, Eileen, is that the, the vibe I get from your question is that you're not really enjoying mostly walking because of the heart rate situation, right? Uh, if that's true, if that's the case, then stop worrying about the heart rate and just run. All right. Focus on, on keeping most of your runs still easy. All right. But maybe we're not going by the heart rate easy anymore. Maybe we're going by the talk test. Maybe we're going by how you're feeling. Okay. Is it going to be as quote unquote perfect as, or as quote unquote accurate as your heart rate? Maybe not, but have fun first and foremost. All right. And, and so, and that, again, that goes to anybody, anybody who's, who's heard me talk about heart rate training and they're trying to get on board, but damn, it's frustrating to walk so much. I get you. I've been there. Thankfully, I've kind of gotten pretty well through it, but if you're still in that walk phase and it's still, it, it's not fun for you, then run more. Okay. We want it to be fun. We want you to enjoy this. We don't want this. We, we want running to help you manage life, not make life more stressful because, oh God, I'm trying to go for this run and it's, I'm walking more. All right. So, so Eileen, if you need, if you, if you want to run more, run more. Okay. It's not going to undo all the work you've done. It's not going to undo everything that the, the, the walking that you've done, the base that you've built. All right. You may not build as much, as much of the aerobic fitness as you want to, if you start running too much, not too much. If you start running predominantly running, even though that brings your heart rate up, but that gets me into the second point that I want to make. And this is, this is kind of straight from, again, from, from the, uh, the, the, the man's mouth himself from, from Maffetone himself, um, who in his book, and it's kind of buried. And I kind of, I think I even glossed over it the first time, but I had a couple people kind of have asked me these questions on the side here and there. Clients that I work with have asked these questions here and there. Uh, and I dove back into it that like the 180 minus your age formula is really pretty good for people that are kind of, you know, 20 to 60, right? When, when you're, when you're 20 to 60, it's pretty well spot on again. There, and, and there, and even in Maffetone's formula, there's some qualifiers. All right. So it's not straight up 180 minus your age. It's 180 minus your age for most folks. But if you've got injuries, got illnesses, you're taking more beats off. If you've been training for a while, you've got a pretty good base. You can add some beats. So, you know, you might be, you might be 40. So your, your number might, might should be, um, 140, but you've been, been healthy training for a while, got a good level of fitness. Well, now you might be able to be up to 143, 145, something like that, because you've got a good level of fitness, right? This it's an adjustable scale within the scale a little bit, but he also says, and this is the part that I've missed a couple times, but I, I went back and, and double check just to make sure I'm, I'm clear here that basically when you're, when you're under 20 and especially, especially when you're under, um, like 15, like for, for young kids, which I know that's not you, Eileen, but we'll get there. Uh, he's basically saying like, eh, it may not be as accurate there. And he also says that once you get above 60 and definitely when you're above 65, which now we're talking, um, it may not be as accurate there either. Now he's not saying that, that you should automatically, especially for, for older folks. So right into your, into your demographic here, Eileen, if it's not saying that, that everybody over 65 should automatically add more beats to the, to the mix. But what he does say is that if, if you're, if you're healthy, if you're not dealing with injuries, you're not dealing with sicknesses, 
that when you're above 65, like you might could add between like five and 10 beats and still be okay. You start getting outside of that 20 to 60 range. That's where it starts to be a little bit more fuzzy about, is it exactly 180 minus age or is there some, some more wiggle room that we should be, be keeping tabs of? Um, so I guess my, my thought for you, Eileen, or, or my two thoughts, one, you need to be having fun. All right. So maybe you do mostly heart rate training, but you mix in, you know, a run or two every week just to, to just enjoy running. Right. Um, but my second thought is that maybe, and I don't know if this is the case, you'll have to, you have to experiment with it and play with it. But maybe if you added five or 10 beats, maybe instead of keeping your heart rate at 112 or 113, maybe you set your maximum aerobic training pace or training heart rate at like 118, 120, something like that. Maybe that would be a good balance. Maybe that would be a point where you could, you could do predominantly running. Maybe you still have to walk a little bit here and there, but maybe you could mostly run at a 118, 119 heart rate. So you could get the enjoyment of running, but also keep the, the heart rate low enough that you're still probably really building your base, which is what we're going for, right? So I guess my, my thoughts my, in closing would be play with it. Play with it a little bit, but default to having fun. Default to having fun. That's, that's the most important bit. And even if your heart rate's a little higher than what it quote unquote should be, but you're having fun, that's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. So thank you for the question, Eileen. Certainly appreciate it. Next question from Angie out in California says, yay, I finally made it on time to post a question. Well, glad that you did, Angie. Good to, good to hear from you. It's been a little while. Hope things are well. Um, although being in California, we know what that means right now. And that's part of the question. She says, okay, so California is burning. The air is uh, not good. My words there, censored a little bit. The air is not good. Uh, my last long run was five miles a week ago. And my next long run was due to be six miles. However, I can't run outside. And I don't have a treadmill. I quote unquote here. <laughs> I hear that the air might be better next week. If I take two full weeks off, how do I ease back in? Or can I just continue with what was previously planned? Two short runs and then a six mile uh, long run, assuming that I can breathe. P.S. I have asthma, so my lungs are really good about telling me to slow down or stop if needed. And then she added on that uh, after a full week off, I was able to squeeze in a run in and went okay. Uh, long run, I did all right. Um, so maybe able to get a couple runs in et cetera, et cetera. Obviously it just depends on, on the weather situation. So Angie, great question. And it's something that I think is a great question for everybody, whether or not we live in, in California or Oregon or anywhere where the, the, the air quality is in question right now is that when you have to take a week or two off for one reason or other, it's not an injury situation. It's a life thing. It's a family thing. It's a air quality thing. Um, how do we adjust the training? If you've been pretty consistent to this point with your training, getting your runs in, being a, you know, taking care of yourself, feeling good, taking two weeks off. I mean, I really wouldn't adjust anything. I really wouldn't adjust anything. I mean, you could, you could jump right back in after, after a week or two, um, pretty much not skip a beat. I don't know that I would progress forward, especially if you don't have a race that you're, that you're working towards right now, which I don't think anybody really has too many races that they're working towards right now. I know, I know there's a few of you, but for the most part, we got virtuals and we got, you know, just training to be ready for when races happen again. So it's not like you're in a time crunch, right? It's not like you're building up and you got, you only got eight weeks left until your race. So like, am I going to like, whatever. So in, if I'm reading your question, right, Angie, I think that what I would say to do, and it kind of seems like what you did is just press pause on where you are. And when the air allows, when, when the weather allows that, that you can get out and run, get out and run. If you can go, if it's a long run day, get out and run long, you know, do you do your six miles, do your, do your seven miles, whatever, whatever you would normally have been doing that week. Um, and if it's an easy, you know, it's a short run day, do your short run day. That's cool too. Um, but it's not like, it's not like in two weeks off, you need to like totally, you know, 
scrap the plan and start f- start fresh. Like you're okay, you're okay. So and it kind of sounds like with the update that that's what you did, which I think is perfect. I mean, spot on. Um, but again, for for those of us that have to take a week or two off here and there for other reasons um, that aren't being sick, that aren't having a little niggle that you're taking care of, but it's just it's just life happened. I wouldn't I wouldn't completely you know throw the entire plan out the window and try to start like just pick up where you left off. Pick up where you left off. Um, you know, if there's a, if there's a sickness and illness, something like that, then maybe you ease back into it a little bit with some shorter runs for a couple few days. Like not that you lost a lot of fitness, but just to make sure that you're not too, too much to shock to your body when it's just fighting off, you know, the, uh, the cold or heaven forbid the, the coronavirus. Um, you know, you're not, it's not fighting that off too much and you start running back again and it flares back up like, cause you jumped right back into it. So that's when maybe you start with a couple of walks or a couple of, you know, short one mile, two mile thing, even though your normal run might be four, five, six miles. Um, and just kind of ease back into it that way. It's not your situation, Angie. So I would say just go. When the air is clean, when it's safe to go, go. Pick up right where you left off. Uh, hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully that's helpful. Uh, and, and again, I think that's a great question because it's beyond just the California air situation right now. It's something that we can all benefit from from time to time. Hopefully not too often that we need it, but good information when we need it. So thank you for the question, Angie. Good. Glad, glad that you got in before, um, before the cutoff this month. Appreciate you. Uh, next question comes from Carly. Uh, what have you found is the best thing to help with your plantar fasciitis? Well, uh, funny you should ask this question, Carly. At least, if, not funny that you should ask. Funny that, that you that you worded it the way you did because it, it makes it sound to me like I've been like, damn, I've been complaining about my plantar fasciitis for a while, but I haven't because I haven't really had much plantar fasciitis, which is uh, maybe there's something in that. I don't know. Um, and maybe it's just me reading into your question, which is probably the case. But anyway, what, what are some of the best things to help with plantar fasciitis? I think that, that there's there's two really, really good things. And there's some other things that are kind of more ancillary. So, um, stretching your calf is a big one. It's a big one. I used to, I used to think that was more of a secondary thing. Like, like, yeah, you know, you can stretch your calf that can help too. Um, but the more I, I hear about it, the more I kind of look into it, uh, the more I'm convinced that stretching the calf, like that's like one of the primary things you can do to help with plantar fasciitis. Why? Because if your calf is tight, which spoiler alert for most runners, our calves are a bit tight. Um, that can put extra tension onto our, our, Achilles tendon, which attaches to your heel bone, attaches to your calcaneus. So you put extra tension on that that calcaneus basically 24 hours a day. It's kind of pulling a little bit. I mean, we're talking about fractions of fractions of a millimeter, you know, minor little pulls, but it's enough to put a little bit of extra tension, constant tension on your plantar fascia, which is just more likely to cause it to flare up. Stretch that calf, loosen up the calves a bit, uh, doing some eccentric type of movements doing, you know, where you're, where you're lowering down, uh, gradually into a stretch position, which, which stretches the, the, the calf stretches the, the tendon under force, which is, which is a good thing. Um, just doing a static stretches, doing yoga, things like that to help strengthen, help stretch, lengthen also maybe strengthen a little bit as well, but help to lengthen that Achilles tendon and, and that calf muscles, um, can be great to help take some of that pressure off your plantar fascia, allow it to calm down and really help to avoid plantar fasciitis. Um, and we're not talking about like holding the stretch for 10 seconds. Like we're talking about stretching it. All right. Get, get in that position and just hang out there for a minute or two. Um, with, you know, your foot on a, on a step and just kind of lowering your heel down and just standing there and stretching, stretching, doing it regularly. All right. So stretching the calf is great. Um, getting into the foot with a, a foot massage, whether it's, you know, you, you can bat your eyelashes and have a significant other rub your feet for you. Uh, whether it's, it's getting the golf ball out, the lacrosse ball out, the massage ball, whatever. Um, and doing some, some kind of rolling and, and self massage on your feet, whether you're just self massaging yourself with your, with your thumbs digging in. Um, but, but just kind of working, not crazy, not destroying your feet by any stretch, but just keeping the plantar fascia loose. All right. Uh, stretching your feet, you know, just kind of not, 
I mean, you're stretching your calf too sometimes, but working on, on toe yoga, working on single leg balance, working on walking around the house barefoot to, to strengthen some of the muscles in your arch and in your feet to take pressure off the plantar fascia. All those things are helpful too. Big ones, stretching the calf and get a little, little light massage work on your feet on a semi-regular basis. It doesn't have to be every day, uh, but a couple times a week, you know, while you're watching TV, while you're, while you're, you know, sitting at the, at the computer, um, you know, I've got a little massage thing underneath my, my desk here. So like while I'm, while I'm typing notes or while I'm doing coaching stuff or whatever, I can just throw that out underneath my, my desk, get my foot on it, roll back and forth for a few minutes on each foot. Good to go. Um, just some of those maintenance types of things, but uh, definitely stretching the calf is a big thing. Um, you know, another thing that I've said before, I'll say it again, high heels are no one's friend. Um, at least as far as how your foot and, and ankle health are. Um, so if you, if you're somebody who wears heels regularly, whether they're real high heels or whether they're just a, an inch, you know, heel or whatever on your, on your dress shoes, uh, things like that, uh, try to avoid that if you can, uh, because that just shortens your, your calf, puts your calf in a shortened position all day when you're walking around, which again, just makes your calf that much tighter when you go to run, when you step down in bare feet, which puts more tension on the calcaneus, which puts more tension on the plantar fascia, which is more likely to lead to plantar fasciitis. So get out of the heels, stretch your calf, massage your feet. And then do you know some other simple stuff as far as balance th- things like that, uh, toe yoga that can also help your foot health in general, which is also always going to be good to help prevent plantar fasciitis. So hopefully that that helps, Carly. Thank you for the question. Uh, next two from VA, uh, Liz chimes in. What are your thoughts on checking on the checking of biomarkers with companies like Inside Tracker? They're flooding my feed recently, but are they legit? <sighs> Liz. Call me intrigued when it comes to these types of, of tests. And uh, here's here's a somewhat embarrassing story that's 100% true. Um, so a while back, like, again, I mean, a couple, several years back, uh, back back when my office was upstairs, uh, which, is how I, which is how I judge how long ago something was, um, I, my office now is what, what was Addison's baby room uh, when, she was, when she was younger, right? She, I think she moved into her big girl room um, about three years ago which means that was about when I moved my office from upstairs into uh, what is now the office, right? And when, so all that to say, back then, when my office was upstairs, so about three years ago, um, I, I interviewed Jonathan Levitt, who I think still works with, with Inside Tracker, but we talked about Inside Tracker, among other things, of course. And uh, I went ahead and signed up. I bought a, I bought a test, um, paid, I can't remember what it was, 100, 150 bucks, something like that for kind of the, the lower, lower level test to check the biomarkers. Right. Um, so this is three years ago, four years ago, something like that. I, I paid the money to, to try out inside tracker. I still haven't gone and got my blood test yet. I, I think I can still use it. I hope I can. I'll use it. If I can still use it. I mean, I guess I'm still planning on using it someday, you know, going to the lab, getting a, a quick blood draw, um, sending it off and seeing what it says. So I'm intrigued by it but I'm clearly not intrigued enough that I've like done. I, I was, I've intrigued enough to spend the money. I'm not intrigued enough to take, you know, a half an hour or 45 minutes to, to go to the lab, get the, get the draw and have the sample sent off, you know? So, so what are my thoughts? It's, it's interesting. I think that if you do it consistently, it can be, it, it could give you some good information provided it's accurate, which I think it is. So hope, hopefully it is. Um, but I've never done it. I've never done it. Um, I like the idea of it. I, I especially like the idea that, you know, there's, there's ranges, right. For, for different, different levels of vitamins and minerals and things like that. 
and a lot of times the range is like is like huge. Like you know, I'm making up numbers here, but I, I know that some of the numbers are, are like this, where it's like anything from like ten to a hundred is considered normal. All right, but if you're eleven, that's a whole lot different than being at ninety nine of like iron levels or whatever, right? And I, I'm 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 not like don't don't quote me on those numbers, but just I'm just saying if you got a big range of what the normal level is for like just general health. You might, you know, go get a blood panel from your doctor and they're like, yeah, everything's normal. Everything's in the normal range. You're good to go. Like, you know, whatever you're, you're tired, you're lethargic, you're this, you're that. I don't know what it is. It's not, there's nothing in your, in your blood markers, but the inside tracker and some of the other things, and this kind of sounds like a a commercial for inside tracker, um, from what I, how I understand it. And I haven't looked into it much in the last three plus years. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt as well, but because they're more focused on working with athletes, they're going to say, yeah, you know, 10 to 100 might be quote unquote normal. But 11, while, quote, normal, is far from optimal. So we're going we're gonna to say that, yeah, you might be an 11 there, but let's try to get you up to like 60, 70, 80. Like that might be more optimal for being an athlete, for being a runner, for being a, a marathoner, for, for racing the 5K, you know? So I think that's where, that's where they really kind of seem legit to me is that instead of saying this broad range of what is normal, like we really to- hone in on, for an athletic population, for, you know, a male in his thirties, for a female in her sixties, like whatever, you know, I'm, cause I'm sure that those demographics or those, those, uh, factors, those sex factors and age factors are going to be in, in play as well. I don't know that, but I'm assuming. And no, Liz, I know you're not in your sixties. I'm just throwing out numbers. Okay. Um, but, but I think that, that, you know, being able to, to look a little bit more beneath the surface of the numbers could be helpful, could be helpful to where you can go. Yeah. This might be quote normal, but if I can bump this number up by, you know, two or three or 400%, still be in the normal range, but be more optimal that maybe that would help, help with recovery, help with how you feel. I mean, those types of things, maybe, maybe worth it. So, um, you know, as I talk myself into it, it's like, God, I, sh- I need to just go schedule a damn test. <laughs> so, so thanks for that, Liz. Appreciate that. Um, and if, if, and when I do, I'll report back on, on my thoughts at that point, I'll have some, some better thoughts and just, yeah, I was interested enough to, to pay 150 bucks when probably couldn't really afford it three years ago, but I did it. And, uh, you know, I haven't done anything with it yet. So maybe I, maybe I should, maybe I should. Um, but thank you for that question. If you, if you check it out, Liz, let me know. I'd be curious to know your thoughts on it as well. Uh, next question also from Liz, what is your favorite fall food slash beverage? Well, I can tell you what my favorite fall food slash beverage is not. It's anything pumpkin spice, (laughs) pumpkin spice, Be, be serious. What is pumpkin? Like pumpkin spice isn't even a thing. So don't come at me with your pumpkin spice lattes. Don't come at me with your pumpkin pies. Like pumpkin pie is disgusting. You're, you're wrong if you like pumpkin pie. I mean, you're not wrong if you like it, but if you're trying to tell me that pumpkin pie is the best pie, you're wrong. Factually, scientifically valid, you're wrong. All right, so, so what is my favorite fall food slash beverage? Um, I don't know that I... I mean, I, I don't know that I have a favorite fall beverage. I like coffee. I like water. I like gin. I like tequila. I like a good whiskey or a good scotch really, which I know is it's whatever. Don't save your, save your splitting hairs between different types of whiskey. I like scotch. Um, but all those things are kind of universal to me. Like I like coffee in the summer. I like coffee in the, the winter. I like scotch in the fall. I like gin in this. I like scotch in the spring. I like gin and I like to keep, I mean, you know, like, like I don't really have like seasonal beverages. I like what I like and I drink them year round. Um, that said, I don't mind like a, an Octoberfest type of beer. Not that it's too flavorful or not too pumpkiny. 
And if it's too pumpkin it's, it's trash, just like pumpkin pie, just like pumpkin spice. Garbage. Get it. Gone. But I'll take like an, like an Oktoberfest beer. It can be okay. I mean, I don't drink a lot of beer. I'd, I'd rather have a gin, quite frankly. Um, but, you know, if, if I'm at, at a place and they've got a pumpkin-y, like a, not a pumpkin-y, an Oktoberfest type of beer, okay, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, but when it comes to favorite fall foods, slam dunk, hands down, a good, a good, fresh, ripe, delicious apple. It doesn't get better than that. Doesn't it doesn't get better than something fairly fresh off the tree, um, which living in Florida kind of sucks because apple trees aren't really a thing down here. Uh, it doesn't happen. But growing up in Michigan, having having uh, family, having parents that spoil me a little bit, but that spoil their grandchild in a big big way. That my dad has like I don't even know what he has anymore. He used to have like probably thirty plus. I think he might be down to about twenty now. Uh, 20, 20 ish apple trees at the house. Um, and you know, when the, the trees are like mature trees that if it's a good season produce a lot of apples. And so, you know, somewhere probably in the next, somewhere in, in October, somewhere, maybe the middle of the month, we'll get shipment number one of apples from Michigan, um, that are theoretically earmarked for Addison, but there's a, there's a daddy fee. That means that I'll eat at least half of the apples um, that are fresh apple tr- apples from Michigan. Delicious. The only th- we don't buy apples down here. I won't. I won't buy apples. Period. But when it's when it's apple season, we're eating apples every day. Every might I might be eating multiple apples a day for uh, a little while there. Because the the worst thing is when you know they 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 send a, a, a you know pretty decent sized box. Like mom drops like thirty, forty, fifty bucks on shipping to get the apples down here. Right. So they, it's not just like two apples. Like it, we're, we're getting, you know, apples by the, by the bushel, like literally apples by the bushel down here. Um, we'll get probably two packages of those and then we'll get some more when they come down in, in December. Um, but we're not going to, we're not going to let them go bad down here. No, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to eat the apples. So, uh, when it comes to favorite fall food and growing up up there, obviously being able to like literally pick apples off the tree. Um, although dad, I, I say literally, I don't think I ever did that. Cause I would have gotten in trouble for picking apples before. Like, you know, if I picked it on a Thursday, but we were going to harvest on Saturday, like why the hell did you pick the apples on third? Like, wow, what are you doing? So I didn't really do much apple picking. I just, once they were picked, it was on, it was on. And we'd have apples for, you know, three months, four months, five months, something like that. Um, till they got, to the point where you had to like cook them or can them or process them or do something with them. Um, but I, I, I can't think of a favorite fall food that, that would trump a good, a good apple, good apple. That's legit. Uh, dad has some honey crisp apples. They are legit. Golden delicious. Also legit red delicious. He doesn't have any of those cause those are terrible. Those are, those are on par with pumpkin spice, pumpkin spice. If you, if you like pumpkin spice, and red delicious apples. You need to get your head examined. I, I love you. I appreciate you listening to the show. You're just you have terrible taste in coffee and apples. I said it, and I'm sticking to it. But thank you for the question, Liz. Uh, appreciate you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I didn't offend too many folks. Hopefully, hopefully there's still a couple of people listening because we still got a bunch of questions left. Um, and if you like your pumpkin pie, in, whatever. That's, actually, that's fine. Come around me with your pumpkin pie because I don't have to worry about you eating the good pies, which not coincidentally are apple pies. Uh, it doesn't get better than Nana's apple pie. Uh, you can fact check me on that too. If my cousin's listening to the show, she'll tell you Nana made the best, made the best apple pies. The secret? 
the secret. Soak raisins for the night before in apple cider. Sprinkle the raisins in with the apple pie. It's a game changer. It's a game. I'm telling you. Game changer. Nana's secret weapon. Delicious. Delicious. Next question from north of the border. Brian asks, when foam rolling, what is a good amount of time to spend on each area? I mean, this is this is one of those questions, Brian, where it's like, I don't know that there's a minimum. I don't know that there's a maximum. I mean, it's like... Like the more, the more, the merrier, but at some point it becomes diminishing returns. Like, like if two minutes is good, three minutes might be better, but like 20 minutes is like, all right. Like, you know, I don't know that 20 minutes is, is six times better than, or better than I make them, better make the numbers easier. I don't know if 20 minutes is 10 times better than two minutes, right? Like it might be better theoretically. Um, so, so I don't, I, you know, there's not necessarily a good amount of time. Like, like if you're only getting a couple of seconds on each body part, like you're probably wasting your time. You're getting a minute or two. That's good. That's good. I think that, that sometimes what gets lost in the shuffle, like, like let's pick a body part, right? Like say you're, you're, you're foam rolling your hamstrings. Okay. Um, so you're rolling the hamstring, like it can be easy to just keep rolling back and forth. I think that the thing to consider is like your hamstrings technically are three muscles, right? And the back of your thigh where your hamstrings are like, it's, it's bigger than just where you're going to hit one section on the foam roller. So if you're going to roll for two minutes on your hamstring, make sure that you're kind of rotating a little bit, changing the position. So you're hitting the, the kind of the inner hamstring, the outer hamstring, that area between the hamstring and the IT band. Certainly get in the center of the muscle group, get down by your knee, get up by your, by your, your glute up in that fold, but your, your glute and your hamstring kind of collide. Um, but make sure you're getting the whole muscle in that minute or two and do the same thing on the other leg. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, getting, you, you can get most everything covered. You can get your hamstrings, your glutes, your calves, your quads, uh, maybe your, your lower back a little bit. You can get your lats if you want. I mean, you get, you get a good, a good 10 minutes, six minutes, five minutes of foam rolling a day. You can, you can do pretty good work with that. Um, could you get a little bit more? Sure. Could you get a little bit less? I mean, you know, if you're getting on it and doing something on it, that's better than nothing. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to answer the question best because I don't know that there is a, an optimal amount, you know, just be consistent. If you can, if you can hit it, you know, if you like, like going back to the, the two minutes versus 20 minutes on each body part, if you, if you're getting 20 minutes once, you know, on, on like if you're focused on your hamstrings for 20 minutes once a week, like, okay, but you'd be better off to get two minutes on your hamstrings every day for seven days. I can tell you that with pretty much assurance even though it's only four, only 14 minutes, it's consistent. It's every day. It's, it's working the muscle a little bit every day, helping to improve the circulation, helping to break up the adhesions. That's what we're going for. And you're going to get that better by doing a little bit every day than you are by a lot twice a week. So, um, you know, a couple minutes, each body part, I think that's a good target talking about five or 10 minutes total. I mean, probably 10 minutes total. Cause you got right and left. So you're gonna have to break it up a little bit there, but you know, 10 minutes total a day do that six days a week, seven days a week, you're going to be a lot farther ahead than trying to get one mammoth long, you know, hour long session. Okay. So hopefully that makes sense. But, but I can tell you this, Brian, if you're getting on it every day, you're doing better than I am. You're doing better than I am. As much as I talk about foam rolling, I don't do it very often. So get on it, make it happen. And there's definitely positive results that will come of it. Uh, next question from, uh, from Georgia. Jason and Jason Dennis in the house asks, uh, I never used to believe in run streaks, but since I've been running daily all summer and want to continue racking up the miles, uh, for craw and for marathon training, what's your advice for quote unquote rest days or recovery days 
while still running. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's pretty well known where I stand on running streaks. I'm not a fan, certainly for myself. I think that they can work. I think that they're okay for some, some folks. Um, but I think that if, you, if you're going to run streak, you can't say that you have a rest day because you don't. Like, you know, kind of going back to Julia's question about an off-season. Like, if you're running a bunch during your off-season, well, it's not an off-season. If you're running even just a mile on your rest day, well, it's not a rest day. Like, you're not, it's not a rest day. Don't, stop saying it is. It might be a lower volume day than normal. It might be a, a kind of a pseudo-recovery day. But if you're running, it's not a rest day. If that's working for you, if you're able to take care of your body, you're getting enough sleep, eating well, hydrating, doing enough recovery work that you're okay, then you're okay. That's cool. Um, I would, I would counter a little bit or maybe devil's advocate you a little bit and go, you know, so, so whatever mileage you're getting per week, say let's, I'm just making up a number. Let's say you're getting 40 miles per week and you're running seven days a week and you know, you got one or two days a week that are quote unquote, just, you know, your, your quote unquote rest days, which is ridiculous, but like your, your one mile days to keep your streak going, but you're not pushing too much. All right. I would wonder if you took a proper rest day but then we're able to run a bit more on the other days. Like you might find that you could get more miles by taking a rest day or two, a proper rest day or two where you're not running at all. Maybe you're going for a nice little walk, but no, no running. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying it might, uh, it might work out to be able to get more miles to help you be more ready for your marathon to help you contribute more to the, we run, we, we run this world craw team. Not that I'm saying you need to contribute more, but I'm just saying, just saying, I'm just saying. So ultimately you do you, you know, kind of going back to, to Eileen's question as well. Like you want to, it's got to be fun. You got to enjoy it. If you enjoy the streak, if you enjoy getting out there every day for a mile, you know, on, on a few days to keep the streak going. Hey, you do you. I don't, I don't think I, I, I can't call it a rest day. You, you call it what you want. You do the mental gymnastics that it requires. I can't call that a rest day, but if it works for you, it works for you. Hope you stay healthy, um, not just for the cross stuff, but just, I mean, for you in general, right? As runners, right? Again, we want to stay healthy. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, cutting it down to, to just a mile. I mean, I guess that's, that's better than trying to hammer 10 miles a day. Um, but I think a rest day is probably better, uh, for, for the body and the mind, at least for myself. I can, I can confidently say that for myself, a day off, one day off per week where I don't run. I still may do some stuff. I still may be on my feet, do some work around the house. Uh, maybe spend a day at Disney. So I'm still getting some time on my feet, which is not ideal when that happens on the rest day, but it happens. But as long as I'm not running, I give my body a little bit of a break, give my mind a little bit of a break. And it helps me, it helps me get more miles per week than if I, if I kept running every day, because I've tried the run streaks before, and man, I, I hate running after a while. And I don't, I don't want to see anybody be in that situation, but if you know, but at the same time, I mean, I've had people on the show that have run for 5,000 days in a row. So clearly you can streak, and make it work. Um, and if it's make, if it's working for you, Jason, then keep on keeping on. Um, but just, just be smart, you know, and, and, and don't be afraid to pull back for, um, a mile for, you know, to, to just a mile. Uh, if that's what it takes to keep your streak going for several days, if that's what you need to do to kind of refresh a little bit, rejuvenate. Um, but again, I would argue, or at least I would postulate that just taking a day off might help you recover better, be more refreshed than running for a mile for a few days in a row to keep, some streak going that I don't know to me a streak like, all right, whatever, but you do you, you do you is the moral of the story. Uh, but thank you for the question, sir. Um, next question. 
It's from Mona. And if you've been listening to the last few quick uh, Q&A episodes, you know that a question from Mona means like five or six questions. And that's what we got here today, which is, which is just, just fine. So the first question has a little bit of a setup to it. Uh, um, today was the first day. She said this a week ago, but whatever. Uh, today was the first day after 10 days of non-running uh, due to the air quality in... Um, in California. She's another California person. I uh, did a lot of indoor cycling. I went out today. So excited. I forgot to take water with me. It was about 63 degrees and there was a breeze. Uh, I somehow survived the run, uh, but had a thought to myself. So here's the first question with that context. Is it a good idea to train to run without water for the distances of like 10 to 13 miles? If the temperature is cool enough, like maybe below 65 degrees. She says I did take water and electrics when I was home and I'm good at you know being hydrated throughout the day. Um, you know, it's a great, great question, Mona. And, and sometimes I think we get we running community, running coaches, um, you know, running experts, if that's what you want to call me. Uh, I think sometimes we get, we get caught like preaching the value of water almost too much. And, and, and don't take that the wrong way. I mean, running water is obviously important. Being hydrated, obviously important, but like our bodies are pretty awesome. Like, like when you think about how ridiculous the human machine is, like it is absurd what what we can do what we're capable of doing and while while you can certainly make the the not even an argument you could you could you would be not wrong at all to say that hey when, when it comes to running we, we run better when we're hydrated we do but you know what we can we can go through mild bits of dehydration and it doesn't impact us at all like we still run our bodies still function just as well mild levels of dehydration and if you're going out for 10 to 13 miles, so let's, let's, you know, say two to two and a half hours. I don't know exactly what your pace is, but I think, you know, somewhere in that range, a couple hours and it's not ridiculously hot and you're, you're well hydrated before you run. Like there's, there's no, you don't need water during that run. Is it nice to have? Sure. Is it hurt? Does it hurt you to, to, to regularly drink water during a run? Not at all. Do you need water for a 10 to 13 mile run when it's 65 degrees or cooler? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, think about, think about the, you know, the, the, our ancestors, right? Like the, the, the tribesmen in Africa and the Serengeti, uh, chasing down the, the antelope, right? Like the, 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 the way that, that we used to hunt, right? Is, is chasing the animal down and with the, you know, to get the herd of people, you know, some people run here and run there and we just keep that the animal moving, until it overheats, it can't run anymore. We can go in for the kill and we can feed, we can feed the rest of the tribe. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that those hunts lasted longer than 10 to 13 miles. I can pretty much guarantee that at least some of those hunts, the weather was a whole lot warmer than 65 degrees. And I can pretty much guarantee that, that most of those warriors, most of those, those tribesmen that were out hunting, you know, hundreds of years ago, some still today in some, some cultures, some parts of the world, they're not carrying a bunch of water with them. You know, they don't have their orange mud pack or their hydro flask or whatever. They're getting dehydrated. They're still sweating. The body still works the same as ours. And they're, they're just fine. They're just fine. So all, all that to say, and I'm not trying to, to make you, you feel bad in any way, shape or form. Mona. I'm just, I'm just using that as a, as a much more extreme example than, you know, running for a couple of hours uh, when it's, you know, a nice, a nice comfortable 60 degrees outside. Like you don't, you don't need it. Nothing wrong with having it. Nothing wrong with being accustomed to it. But it like functional functionality, you're going to be just fine with or without water for a couple of miles, for a couple of hours. All right. Probably even longer than that. But again, like it's nice to have water. It's nice to be able to take a drink, right? I appreciate it. 
I enjoy it. I take water with me for my longer runs. Absolutely. But, you know, 10, 15 miles, like, it's a, it's a want, not a need in that situation. Unless you're starting out way behind the eight ball, in which case you probably shouldn't be running anyway. So if you're hydrated before, you're good to go. You're good to go is the moral of that story. But thank you for that question. Um, and hopefully that, that all makes sense. Uh, next one, also from Mona. What are your tried and tested top five gadgets for running slash recovery? So are we talking about running or are we talking about recovery? Because I got, I got different gadgets for different. I don't know I've got five for each, but I've got, I don't know, maybe three or four for each. So uh, when it comes to running gadgets, I mean my watch. I'm now a big fan of Coros watch, by the way. Uh, although, honestly, like, it's not like I had a big issue with Garmin. Like, I just had an older Garmin. The battery was, was to the point where it was, it was, you know, I could get a few hours. I could, I could maybe get a marathon's worth of distance out of it, um, out of a full charge. But I have to charge it, like, every day or every two days. Um, so I was looking at new watches, and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to try a Coros watch. Uh, it's got, like, 40 hours of GPS battery life. I was like, hmm, I could get used to only charging my watch every 10 days, uh, which is pretty much what it's like right now. Um, you know, so like having a good watch, I think is, is for me kind of a, something that I need. Um, I mean, I want, it's certainly not a need, but it's, it's, it's borderline, right? A heart rate strap for me, of course, has to be on the list, uh, because of, of being such a heart rate kind of guy. Uh, I'm pretty good at, at not really testing, you know, like getting to the, the upper limits anymore. I can just settle in and cruise and, and listen to my body, but it's nice to have that backup that nice, that, that little beep to remind me once in a while when I do get a little bit cocky or when uh, the dog's pulling a little bit too much or whatever the case might be that I need to slow down. So having the, the heart rate strap is good. Um, for the longer runs, you know, into your question about, um, the, the fluids and, and the, the hydration stuff. I, I, I like it. My orange mud packs. I've got two. I've got one that's uh, got carries two water bottles. One that carries one for, you know, depending on how much I, I need, how long do I need to be out there? Uh, you know, do I have chances to refill? Do I want to have to refill, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but having that, I mean, that's, that's a gadget that I enjoy. Uh, it, it's, it's a creature comfort for sure. Um, but it's, it's a nice one. And then of course, headphones, like I'm going to listen to music or listen to a podcast. It's nice to have good headphones. Um, I currently, I had a question on this from, from Rhett, uh, a couple days ago on social media. Um, I currently have air, sh- uh, what is it sh- after, is after shock? What the heck are the headphones? The shocks, the, whatever the, a- I think it's aftershocks. I was going to say air shocks. And I was like, that's not right. Uh, I currently have aftershocks. They're okay. Um, they're not bad enough that like, like they have pros and cons. Like I used to be earbuds exclusively. Um, ended up getting some aftershocks when the airbud batteries just were again, kind of next to, next to useless. Um, for some things running in otherwise for some, for some aspects, I like the AirPods better. Some aspects I like the aftershocks better. Um, well, like, you know, when, when these ones die, eventually will I get aftershocks again? I don't, jury's still out. I might go back to the AirPods, AirPods. Um, but in, in any event, a good wireless, uh, headphone, I think is, is a, as a, you know, kind of piece of gear, a gadget that I really enjoy for running. When it comes to recovery, uh, my, my, my favorite gadgets there are my bed. Don't overlook your bed. Like the quality of sleep you get is the best recovery tool you can do. You're getting good sleep, best recovery thing out there, hands down. So having a good bed, uh, is kind of important. So I think that's, that's my number one recovery tool. Uh, then of course the foam roller, the yoga mat, uh, the spin bike is nice to get some movement, some easy movement. I don't push myself too hard in the spin bike very often, but get the legs moving, uh, get a little bit of workout in that, that can be a nice little recovery tool. And I got my scraping tools on there as well. Cause I don't, I don't use them as much as I should, but I do enjoy, I don't, I don't enjoy not, not very pleasant in the moment, but I enjoy the after effects of a good scrape with the tools. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about there, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll actually have links for all those things in the show notes and I'll go back to Amazon. Not coincidentally, they're all affiliate links. So, you know, you check those things out. 
and then uh, order one or, or don't, but then, you know, go ahead and order something else and I'll get a couple of shekels in the old, in the old account. Um, but I like, I like my scraping tools for the kind of myofascial release tools. Um, again, not the most pleasant experience, but, uh, they're good. They're good recovery tools, good recovery tools to have. Um, another question from Mona, how many people in your phone are on a block list? If you even have any, I don't have any idea what the block list is. So I guess the answer is zero. I mean, I, I guess I can assume from the context that like there's a list where you can like save numbers and then block them. I mean, I don't have any of those. I just, I don't answer the phone. Like unless Rebecca's calling, um, or unless I'm expecting a call at a certain time, I don't answer the phone. So I don't it, like it doesn't blocked, saved number. It doesn't matter. I'm not answering. So, um, you know, I just, I just delete, you know, I, I cancel any call that comes through. If it's important to leave a message, uh, I think we're about 95% of the calls that come through. Don't leave a message. Even when it's like a buddy of mine or whatever, like I'm like, dude, I'm working right now. I, I, ain't, I ain't got time to talk. Um, so, so yeah, I don't have a block list. Um, I guess if I kept getting the same numbers, but then I like start to know that like, Oh, this is that random number. They're not gonna leave a message. So whatever I, maybe I should put them on a block. I don't know. I don't know what a block list is. I don't care about it. So I guess zero, zero people in my phone are on any type of block list. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve when it comes to people? Um, Ooh, this is a dangerous question here, Mona. If it, anybody that's that I didn't, uh, piss off too much about the, the pumpkin spice latte thing might get, uh, might leave me now. We're going to be, you have zero, zero people subscribe to the show after this, at this point, you know, we made it through a hundred and whatever, 30 minutes and now zero, nothing, no more. My biggest pet peeve when it comes to people is people. Um, I'll unpack that of course. But, uh, I, I think that, that I know talking politics is, is, is a scary thing, right? Like something I probably shouldn't do, but, but at my heart, I'm, I'm probably, a libertarian and by probably, I mean, I, I am, uh, and, and in my, in my libertarian fantasy world, that isn't a real world. It's not real. I recognize that, but in my, in my libertarian fantasy situation, like we wouldn't need a lot of government stuff, government involvement in our lives because people would just do the right things. Like people would, would do the things that are, that are courteous to others that would support each other that, that are good for good for you. Good for me. Good for everybody. You know, I, I'll, I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine type of situation. Um, but obviously that world doesn't exist, right? People are, people are selfish. People are people. And I I'm guilty of this too. You know, I can, I can say that that's my, my, my fantasy world. Um, but I'm not perfect about thinking about others all the time. I'm not perfect about putting other people's needs ahead of my own and, and my family's needs. Um, so I'm selfish, you know, I'm, I'm part of the problem. I recognize that. And that's my biggest pet peeve about people is that we're, we're selfish, that, that, that we don't think about others, that we're not willing to, to, you know, with the, with the COVID situation, again, I'm probably pissing people off left and right, but, um, you know, like, like I don't like wearing a mask. I don't know for sure that it's a hundred percent guarantee that by wearing a mask, you know, will stop the spread of the coronavirus. But like, I'm willing to, to do it. I'm willing to be a little bit uncomfortable to hopefully help prevent other people from getting sick, to help allow businesses to reopen, to allow races to happen again. Like, like if everybody, and again, this is Pollyanna, I get it. If everybody was willing to do that, like, I think our country and our world would be in a better place. Not realistic, but that's my pet peeve. That's my biggest pet peeve about people is that we're people. <laughs> we're people. And, uh, we're, we're too selfish a lot of the time, 
too unwilling to be like, well, that's my right. And I don't care what it, what it does to somebody else. And this is both sides. Like, it's not just a left versus right. I mean, both sides do this type of stuff and it's just people. It's just people. So if, if, uh, if there's anybody left, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. If, if everybody's left, if everybody's gone, well, we had a good run. We had a good, we had a good run of 870, whatever, 77 episodes. <sighs> I'm going to keep going, but I guess nobody's listening anymore. So next question. One more from Mona. Hopefully you're still here. Uh, what was the last time you and Rebecca went on a date and got out to eat you know, or, or got out to eat or have some good time? Um, if we're talking about just the two of us, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. February, maybe January, February, something like that. Um, it's been a minute. It's been a minute um, because, you know, COVID-19 happened and, uh, like we don't really go out a lot anyway. I hate going out to rest, like going out, you want to talk about pet peeves, it's not pet peeve about people, but like, I hate going to restaurants. Restaurant food is terrible. Uh, it's not healthy. It's overpriced. All, all my opinion, if you like going to restaurants, you do you, but like I have, if I never went to another restaurant again, that would, pff, nope, that would be fine. It'd be fine with me. Um, so like, it's not something that we would normally do anyway, but like, you know, January, February, my parents were still in town. So we had a free babysitter. Um, so I'm sure we did, we, you know, we, we would have little dates here and there uh, in that time frame. So somewhere in there was the last time we had like a proper date. I mean, we went to Disney last weekend, but we had Addison there. So like, is that, is that a date? I, I don't think so. Um, so, you know, probably the next time will be in December when my parents get back into town. Um, but yeah, probably something we should prioritize a bit more. Um, but we just, you know, especially this year, it's been so crazy, but uh, not something we do enough of. You know, our, our one date usually per, you know, our one time getting a babysitter is usually going to the Dave Matthews show. Um, but there was a, Dave wasn't coming to Tampa this year anyway. So we probably weren't going to go see a show. Uh, then B, of course the, the, the tour got canceled anyway. Um, so there was, there was no opportunity. So, I mean, yeah, we haven't, we haven't had a date in, uh, in a while, in a while, maybe, maybe overdue. Um, but it, you know, it'd be December soon. We'll have that free babysitter again and, and maybe we'll make something happen then. Uh, but thank you for the, the block of questions, Mona. Appreciate you. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully people are still listening after that one question, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to hold it. I'm not going to hold against you personally. If everybody left because I maybe got a little too, a little too political, touch that third rail. Um, but anyway, thanks. Thanks for the block this month, Mona. Appreciate you. Uh, handful of questions. I've still got a bunch of questions left. Um, next one from Chris when running on trails, do I need to pack out my apple core, banana peel or orange peels? Don't want to be a litter bug, but it is the woods after all. So Chris, um, I mean, I think that the right, an- I think, you know, the right answer here is that, yeah, you should, you should, you know, what goes in has to come out. Right. Um, so, so bring, you know, bring it all out with you. I think that my answer is that I'm kind of, I, I kind of think that I'm on the same line as where you are. It's like, you know what? Like if I'm going to eat an apple, if I'm going to eat something that, that is very much biodegradable, um, like I'm probably not going to bring it out with me. I, I'm call me a bad person. I'm just probably not going to, um, so yeah, so when you're running on the trails, like if something like that, that you can kind of chuck off the trail a little bit, like that's that's what I would do. I don't think that's right. I think that the best answer is to bring it out with you. Um, but I think that that's one of those sins that's easily forgiven. If you're running on the trail and you take a, a goo down and you drop the goo packet there, you're a you're a dick. You're a bad person. All right. Um, I think we can all agree on that too, right? Like like that's not something that should just be left in the woods. And I'm not saying that that you are, Chris. I'm just saying in general, like that makes you a bad person dropping, you know, a banana peel off the trail so that nobody slips on it. Um, I mean, I think that's forgivable. I think it's still wrong. I think you should still probably bring it out, 
but I think I can, I can, I can forgive you for that one a lot easier than I can forgive the the clowns that leave a um, a, a gel packet or a you know a, a candy bar wrapper or something like that. Like that, you're a bad person. Bring that stuff out with you. Um, so there we go. There's there's my level of hypocrisy when it comes to littering on the trails uh, for this month. Thank you, uh, Chris, for the question. Another one from Jason Dennis. This one, ooh boy. Uh, how do I get more people to listen to my podcast? And it asks the host of blah, blah, blah podcast inspired in part by Diz Runs. So, so let me understand this question here, Jason. You're going you're gonna to ask a question that says, how do I get people to come listen to my podcast on my podcast? Okay. Okay. I'll give you the plug. Run the Race is, is Jason's podcast. Run the Race podcast. I listen to it. I enjoy it. Um, I think this is not the best way to get people to come listen to your podcast. Um you know, not, not to throw you under the bus or anything, Jason, I kind of threw you under the bus for the last question. So I guess, I guess let me back the bus up, up over you one more time. Uh, I mean, you've been invited to be a guest on the show for what, four months, five months. Theoretically, we're going to make it happen soon, right? We've had a little back and forth. We're going to make it happen. But I mean, that's, that's a good way. That's a better way than trying to, to like sneaky bomb, uh, you know, the, the, the Q and a section. right. But, but when you come on, we'll talk about your show, I'll encourage people to go listen to, I'll encourage people right now, go listen to the run the race podcast. Um, but, but there's that. It also presupposes that like, I know how to get more people to listen to podcasts. Like, I don't know. I'm, you know, one listener at a time, man, you know, talking to people, engaging people on social media, um, not being like, I think there's the, I think that sometimes people can kind of struggle with like being really kind of slimy and greasy about like, 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 that shameless promotion versus like that, that tacky promotion. Um, obviously you got to promote, right? Like that's part of, that's part of what I try to do. Um, I probably could do better. I probably need to do better. Um, but it's like, like fine line of like, what's too much, what's not enough. Um, so I don't know, I guess is the answer to the question, you know, hopefully, you know, you'll be on my show. I'll be on your show. It's what we talked about. So that's, that's a good way to cross promote and, uh, and, and encourage other folks to listen. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what the magic magic pill is. It's 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 tricky. Word of mouth. That's the best way. You know, having having people, other people talk about your show instead of instead of being like, hey, how do I get people to listen to my my podcast, aka the Run in the Race podcast or Diz Runs Radio? Like, you know, just when, when it comes up in when when people ask questions in running groups and go, hey, what are what are some podcasts that I can that that, that y'all are listening to? I mean, the best thing is when somebody else goes, oh man, I love Run the Race and and I love Diz Runs Radio. You know, some, some random, not random, but you know, somebody, somebody that's not you and not me promoting your show and my show. That's, that's the good stuff right there. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know how to make that happen. I mean, just, you know, continuing to put out good content, continuing to, to engage, continuing to, to create more super fans that are willing to promote you. I mean, I, I think that's, I, that's, that's what I try to do. You could, you could make an argument that doesn't work very well. I don't know. Um, but you know, that's, that's, that's my thought. Um, but hopefully Jason, one of these days we'll line up, you can come on, come on the show, get on the hot seat and, uh, you know, maybe we can, we can send a few earballs your way because of that more so than because of sliding here. But if, Hey, if y'all want to go check out, run the race, go check out, run the race. We're going to promote it eventually here, eventually. Uh, so might as well check it out now, but, uh, thanks for the question, Jason. Hopefully that second trip of the bus going back over you wasn't any, I would say it wasn't too painful. Hopefully it wasn't any more painful than the first time. All right. Uh, but thank you for the question, my friend. Um, 
Next question from Nicole. What is a good alternative to, to gels, uh, goose, sugary type of stuff? Uh, gut, getting the gut bombs are new to me, and it happened in the last two hard, long training runs. Dang, is this age? I turned 52 this year. Uh, I'm all food friendly, but uh, I'm actually lactose intolerant, but that's not what I eat on my training run. So that's irrelevant. So uh, Nicole, great, great question. And it's something that, uh, um, I don't know that there's a great answer other than you got to just try some different things, but here are a couple of things to keep in mind. First of all, my, my go-to that I don't use for training runs, but I use it on race days, tailwind. I've talked about it before. Uh, I do have an affiliate code for tailwind. Any of you guys that like tailwind, uh, check out disruns.com slash tailwind. Uh, it, it orders through their website. It's the same price as Amazon. Um, granted it's not like two day prime shipping, but, um, you know, that, that way you're, you're not, they're not losing money to the middleman of Amazon. You can just order directly from them. You can still get free shipping. If you, if you get, you know, a couple of things, um, just takes more than like a day and a half, like it does for Amazon. But anyway, if you want to support the show and support tailwind, you can check that stuff out. Disruns.com slash tailwind. Um, but that's the stuff that I use on race day. Um, and I've never really had any issues with that, right? But it is it is still sugary stuff, so maybe that doesn't fit your fit what you're looking for. Um, but a lot of times, what happens, and I know I know uh, you know, there's some some folks that are big fans of the untapped uh, stuff. I think Chris Short put a comment there with with his uh, untapped uh, maple syrup packets um, that he swears by. That I might I might dabble my toe in here one of these days and get some of those and try them. But uh, more bigger picture, zooming out a little bit, uh, when it comes to to having GI issues during a, a run, whether it's training run or a race or whatever. Um, I mean, obviously it can happen anytime. You know, there's, there's no, there's no way to completely prevent it. Some things have more of a, some people have more of an issue with certain products than others. So, you know, maybe, you know, the, the couple things that you've had, um, maybe you want to avoid those, but what can sometimes happen to a lot of folks is if you're overfueling, depending on how long and how hard your training run was, maybe probably, I don't know. I don't know the details enough to say probably, but maybe you took in too much fuel. Meaning our body only has the ability to process a certain amount of fuel while we're running, right? While we're pushing, especially at hard training run, you're pushing the pace, you're pushing the effort, you're running hard, you're going for a longer period of time. Like if you take in too much, your body's like, man, we got to, we got to, we got to avoid, we, we got to clear the, clear the system a little bit. We got, we got too much that we're trying to digest while the body's asking, too much of us to perform, to run, to create energy that way. We got to get rid of some of this stuff. So you, it comes out one end or the other, right? Um, so, so what I'm what I'm getting at here is maybe it's not so much the gels or the goos or whatever it was that you had on these two runs where you had problems. Maybe you're you're overfueling, and that could maybe even start from beforehand. Maybe maybe you took in some fuel beforehand. You had breakfast or whatever, um, and so maybe you didn't even need to fuel. Um, you know, maybe you fueled three times during your run. I'm making up numbers, of course, but just, just saying, maybe you fueled three times. Maybe you could have skipped that first one, only fueled the second one, skipped the third one, still had a steady stream of energy and not had any gut issues because you didn't take in, you know, 600 calories with a fuel. You just took in 200 or whatever. Um, so that, that might be something to play with, play with the different types of fuel, but also play with how much fuel do you actually need? Loose rule of thumb. 150 to 200 calories per hour is, is max what we can, what we can process while running. So keep that in mind, you know, just kind of play with the numbers, try some different things, but maybe, maybe try fueling less and see if that, if you can find the right balance of still being strong, still feeling good, still having the energy, but also having a gut that's happy with you and no, uh, no issues along the way, if you will. So hopefully that helps Nicole. And it's probably going to be a, you know, anything fueling related 
more often than not, it's a trial and error situation. You're going to have to try some things, potentially have some, some ill effects, some more gut bombs, but hopefully find the right mix. And, and I would, you know, not for nothing, part of the reason that I like being fat adapted is that I don't have to eat as much during a race. The, the less I'm taking in, the less likely that something's going to go wrong. So again, I'm not saying that, that everybody needs to be fat adapted, that you need to, to, to do that. I'm just saying that if you can maybe pull back on the quantity of fuel that you need, not that, that you need, maybe you're taking in more than you need. You can pull back a little bit. Maybe that's all it takes because maybe you're just fueling too much. So something to think about, look at what you what you took in, how many calories you took in, how long it was that you took them in. And maybe that's where you go, oh, wait a second. If I just cut the amount of fuel that I'm taking in half, maybe I'm fueling twice as much, cut it in half, I'll get just what I need. And, and maybe that will be the secret to not having any gut issues out there. So good luck. Cause that, that sucks. Those gut issues suck, suck, suck. All right. Finally on the home stretch, although there's still several questions left, but it's like three from Michaela, three from Tom, who are all regular contributors. And then one from the, the, uh, I don't know. What, what do I want to call short? What do I want to call you? The, uh, the, 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 the man, the pain in the took us sometimes himself. Chris short is the last question. So we got seven questions left. We're, Already getting to be two hours. Goodness gracious. Longest, longest, longest quick tip. Not quick tip. <laughs> Definitely not a quick tip. Longest podcast episode on this podcast, I think, by far at this point, And we still got seven to go. So let's let's power through it. Um, first one from Michaela. Is there, a, is there a way to step up your mileage dramatically and safely? You know why. Here's another craw person. Um, and, and no. No, there's really not like you can, it's one of those where you can, you can do one or you can do the other, right? Like you can step up your mileage dramatically, but it's probably not going to be safely or you can step up your mileage safely, which is going to take a little bit longer, but to try to do both like that's, I suppose it's possible, but boy, that's tricky needle the thread, tricky needle the thread. If all of a sudden you're, you're dramatically increasing your mileage and trying to really cut down your risk of injury, like, I mean, you know, make sure you're doing great recovery work, getting lots of sleep taking good care of yourself, extra time on the foam roller, um, all those types of things. Because I mean, a big increase in mileage, I don't know what your, your increase is exactly what you're talking about. Uh, if it's, if it's two X, if it's, you know, 1.5, what, like, you know, y'all know I'm not a big fan or not a big diehard believer in the, the 10% rule that says that you increase your mileage no more than 10% one week to the next. But you know, if, if you're going from, running 20 miles a week to like, all right, I'm going to try to get to 40 miles a week. Like that's, that's a lot. Like maybe you go from 20 to 25, which would be like a 25% increase. Like may, like I could see that I could, you know, I could figure out how to make that work. I wouldn't call that a dramatic increase. I'd call trying to get to 30 or 40 would be a dramatic increase from 20, but that's, that's asking a lot. So, um, I think your better bet would be to be a bit more, you know, up by, you know, up, Go to use my numbers as an example, which I don't know if they're, they're yours or not, Michaela, but go instead of going from 20 to try to get to 30, go to 20 to 25 and stay there for a few weeks. Let your body adjust, let your body adapt to that demand and then try to pick it up again. But if you're trying to go week after week, 20, 25, 30, 35, whew, you're playing with fire. I hope you don't get burned, but be, please be careful. Please take care of yourself. Craw is going to be around for, for a lot of months. You need to be logging those miles for a lot of months not, uh, not trying to finish it in two weeks. Cause that's, that's be careful, be careful. Follow up. If I may, of course you may. Uh, I know that you are doing craw. Yes, I am. Do you find yourself stalking or checking out other teams? No, no, I really don't. Um, 
and, and, and partly because like, I mean, whatever, like I, I'm not concerned with what all the other teams are doing. Like, like there's the Facebook group. I know that there's some teams that are, are way ahead. Um, some teams that are struggling a bit, but like, I don't, I don't look into what other teams are doing, uh, what their mileages are, how far, who's in front of us. Who's like, I'm not worried about it. I'm worried about my, my team. Uh, I'm worried about making sure that, that, you know, I'm getting my miles in and contributing to, to the team, uh, making sure to, to, to keep everybody informed of what's going on. Um, and as long as we're moving ahead and staying on pace, like that's all I worry about. I hope all the other teams are doing great. I hope, I hope every team is, is hits their goal. Uh, but I, I, I don't have any interest at all into, to scoping out and checking details and checking in every day and seeing how this team's doing, how that team's doing. Like we're just, we're, I'm worried about my own self. I'm worried about our own team. That's enough for me to worry about. I got enough other things on my plate. Um, so, so no, I am not following, stalking, checking in, uh, what anybody else is doing. I have no idea. I have no idea even where we stand in the overall standings. Um, and I'm not really worried about it. Not really worried about it. Uh, last question from Michaela and another one, mostly serious question. My actual 50 K I was about 15 minutes over. So it was unofficially, so it was technically a DNF, although she did do the whole, you know, whole thing. Um, should I do another one and make sure I'm, I'm, I finish in time or just jump to the next race distance I want to try. And I want to do a 50 miler, maybe, maybe more. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great, great question, Michaela. And, and, um, honestly, you know, like, 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 you know, you ran the 50 K I know you ran the 50 K the race director knows you ran the 50 K that said, you know, the, the race director, they have their, their, their timeless. That, that's the, the situation of the race. We have to finish in X amount of time. You came in at X, X plus 15. Um, you finished, you did it, but according to official standings, like you didn't. All right. Okay. Whatever. Um, so all that to say, like, do you, do you need to somehow have an official 50 K finished in order to be able to say, all right, I, I'm ready to start training for a 50 miler. I don't think so. If, if you feel like you do, then do it. I don't think you do. Um, and I would think that if you're going to train up for a 50 K or I'm sorry for a 50 miler, you might do a couple of 50 K runs as part of your training, right? So if you do, and you want to jump into a race, there's something local you can jump into and, and run a, a proper 50 K race. Great. If not, you're just going to go out by yourself and run 30 miles through the woods. Great. Um, but, but that's totally on you, whether you feel like you need to, to have a quote unquote official finish. I mean, I guess not quote unquote, but you know what I mean? Like, like if you need to have a, a race that says that, yep, Michaela did it and she ran the 50 K then, then you might have to do it. And depending on what 50 milers you look at, they, they may, I don't know enough about 50 milers to know for sure, but they may have some type of qualifying requirements. They may have to say that you have finished a 50 K in X amount of time. So if you're looking at one of those races, if that's a requirement, then obviously you have to go out and run a 50 K and finish in that time frame, Right. Um, but I know there's a lot of races where that's not going to be a factor. It's just a matter of if it's close enough, if it's local enough, if it's a race you can get to those types of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't need to prove it to anybody other than yourself. You've already proven yourself. You can do it. If you want to do one and finish in the, the time allowed. Great. You don't want to, as you build up to a 50 mile or beyond also great. You do you girl. You're, you're good. I, as far as I'm concerned, you're, you're, you're you've checked 50 K off the list, even though we want to get technically, you know, it is what it is. Right. So hopefully that makes sense, but, uh, good luck. Good luck. 50 miles. That's, whew, that's, that's territory. I have no interest in being in right now, but, uh, good, good for you. And I'm looking forward to following you along as that goes. Um, next question. 
Four more to go. Three from Tom, one from Chris. Here we go. Uh, my post-run routine includes a short five to ten minute walk followed by active stretching. I then change clothes and usually walk for one to two more miles, i.e. podcast time. I assume that means like time to finish the podcast you're listening to. I don't know what, I don't know. Something else, that's cool, but you know, maybe just time to listen to a podcast. Uh, but whatever, you know, walk for another mile or two. Uh, do you think the walking part is too long? Just curious. No, I don't think it's too long, Tom. Um, I, I think that you're doing, <laughs> you're going back to, to Karen's question from like an hour and a half ago. Uh, you're doing way more than I do, certainly. I mean, I don't even do that short five to 10 minute walk, let alone walk, stretch, walk more. Um, it's not hurting anything. You know, it's not, it's not a problem. Um, it's not required. If you enjoy that time, that little bit of extra time to yourself to listen to a show or listen to a podcast, listen to an audio book, whatever, just, just be out, especially this time of year, the weather's nice get out a little bit more fresh air before kind of starting the day, by all means, keep on keeping on. Um, you know, is, is it, is it really having any crazy benefit? Like, no, but I mean, it's more time on the feet, more time engaging the glutes, moving around. I mean, there, there's just the benefits of walking, right? Um, I don't know that it's helping you running anymore to, to walk for five or 10 minutes and then add another mile or two uh, a few minutes later. Not hurting anything. So if that's part of the routine. I mean, you know where I stand when it comes to routine. I love my routine. If that's your routine, keep on keeping on, my friend. Keep on keeping on. Next question from Tom. My overall plan. This is a, this is a loaded question here, so saddle up, folks. Uh, my overall plan for the next 12 months or so is to do a live half marathon at the end of October, work on my 5k time for the 5k winter series here in my local area, uh, run a half marathon in late March, run some spring 5k and 10k races in the spring, and then start a marathon training cycle for Chicago 2021. I do not particularly like the winter 5k season, but it keeps me running through the winters here in Western New York. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions? 2020 has been a really bummer of a year. And I'm having to work hard to stay positive with regards to running. So, Tom, I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you here other than um, I hope, I hope that your plan is able to go off without a hitch. Um, from this question and from, from previous conversations, previous questions you had working with you a little bit as well in the past, um, I know that you're motivated by race times, right? You know, kind of going back to, to Thessaly's question a little bit vaguely from earlier uh, about maybe changing the, the goalpost, changing the metrics uh, as far as what a, what a successful run is as, as you get older. Not that that's exactly what you're doing here, but, but where that ties into my, my answer is I think there's still a lot of question marks about races in 2021, right? Especially Chicago. Like, like if I'm going to be honest right now, as we stand, as I record this on, you know, 24 September, 2020, I think that there's a decent chance by, by, you know, late winter, early spring, you know, so like February, March into April and into the rest of the spring of, of 2021, I think there's a chance that smaller races, the races like 5,000 people and under, preferably way under that, but, but maybe 5,000 is about the, the cap, um, that those races might probably be able to happen for the most part. Um, I think that for a couple of reasons, I think that, that I hope that, that a lot of those spring races have been going to school this fall and talking to other race directors and paying attention to what some races are doing that are happening and figuring out ways to, you know, have an expo without having an expo, have a, a you know, start without having everybody grouped up in, into corrals and, and kind of having a staggered starts and things like that. You know, when you start to get too many people, it's tougher to do that, but you have races with a couple hundred people, a couple thousand people. Like you can figure out ways to have multiple start areas, rolling starts, whatever, 
to to spread the 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 crowd out a little bit to to help you know reduce the risk of of covid transmission right and and obviously if there's a vaccine maybe that changes the dynamic but i think you know if you know anything about science you know there's a lot of still questions about the vaccine situation going forward so um all that to say i have some serious reservations about a race like chicago even though it's not until the fall of 2021 i don't know i i'm tr- i've been trying to be optimistic throughout this whole process the realistic part of me says i don't know I don't know about that race. So all that to say, you know, with, with how things have been a struggle for you this year with, with the races not happening and, and staying positive and continue to train, even though you don't have those races hanging over your head. Um, I think that, that maybe my thought for you to get back to your question specifically is that it might be, it might behoove you to try to find some other targets that you can work towards in 2021, um, that aren't as specific for races but that you can easily incorporate races into the mix if they still happen. So I don't know exactly what that would look like. Maybe that's a mileage goal. Maybe that's, um, you know, running a certain number of, of, of runs per week or, or whatever. Um, and again, I mean, this is something that's gotta be internal. It's gotta be something that motivates you to the, to almost the same level that the races motivate you, which is tough because I know the races motivate you a lot, but I think you gotta find, you gotta find something like that, that really, is going to keep you going through the winter, through the spring, through the summer. Um, and then if the 5K series in the winter happens, great, you can jump in and do it. If the, the 5Ks and 10Ks in the spring happen, great, you can jump in and do them. You know, I think those smaller local races have a lot better chances of, of happening, right? Because they're probably not even going to have a couple thousand people. They're going to be having 100 people, 150 people, 200 people. And those are the ones where you can go, yeah, all right, we're going we're gonna to start. The start is going to be between, you know, whatever, between... Um, seven o'clock and nine o'clock, every 10 minutes we're going to have, or every five minutes, we're going to have 10 people go off uh, and you have a wide enough space that they can start off and spread out and, and whatever you make it work. Right. Uh, but you start getting into thousands of people and you start looking at Chicago, whatever their number is, 30,000 people, 40,000 people. I don't know. I don't know. I'm hopeful, but I'm, I'm much more guardedly optimistic than I was, you know, in March about Chicago this year. Right. I thought Chicago. Yeah, but for sure. Clearly not. Clearly not. So I guess my, my thought, my, my, my suggestion for you is to try to find some other kind of goals, other motivators that can be in place for at least the next year, maybe the next couple years. And then if and when races happen, then you can just, you know, fold them in, make that kind of a sub goal, make that kind of a checkpoint. You know, a, a successful 2021 is going to be X. And if there's a, if there's a Chicago marathon, Hey, that's just a checkpoint on the way to X on the way to run in whatever, a mileage goal on the way to, to just being healthy on the way to, um, you know, whatever, whatever. I don't, I don't know what the right targets might be, but, uh, I think that, that I love the idea of all these races that you're looking at, but man, I would, I would hate for you to be in another situation a year from now going, well, 2021 was a hot mess because all my races got canceled. And I don't, I don't know. You know, um, so fingers crossed. It's not the situation, but I think this is, I think that, that my new perspective that has changed over the last six months is that this is like a prepare for the worst, meaning prepare for no races in the next year and then hope for the best. Be pleasantly surprised as opposed to going, yeah, I think that, you know, by, 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 by Chicago next year, like, yeah, the races have to be happening again. And then you set yourself up for disappointment if it's not. So kind of a, kind of a Debbie, a Debbie downer answer here. Um, but that's, that's kind of where I stand when it comes to, uh, 
you know, kind of looking forward into the future at this point, especially for those that really struggle with races being canceled, uh, find something else. If you can, even if you, even if it's a stretch, find some other motivator beyond races and hopefully that keep you, keep you moving in the right direction. Uh, last question from Tom, a lot more of a layup question. Have you reconsidered your NFL team allegiance now that Tommy terrific plays in Tampa Bay? No, Tom, no, Tom. If, if my man, Rob is going to keep rooting for the Browns, certainly I'm going to keep rooting for the lions. Like and I'm a Brady fan. I mean, Brady played at Michigan, right? He, he won, he won us. I say us, like I didn't go to Michigan, so I can't really say us, but he won, he won Michigan, uh, a, a national title in 97. He was a quarterback, nothing but love for Tom Brady, nothing but love for Tom Brady. This, no, he wasn't the quarterback in 97. Sorry. He was the quarterback when we won the orange bowl. Um, uh, whenever that was, but that wasn't 97. Who was the quarterback? In 90? Brian Greasy was the quarterback in 97. He, he is the national championship quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines in 97. Um, but I, I, I love me some Tom Brady. I, all the, all the Tom Brady haters out there, they're just jealous, right? Like I, I totally feel like that. Um, but I am not a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. I mean, cause if, if you go back, you know, if, if you know your, your NFL history, Tom, which I'm sure you do, uh, you know, the, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks. We're a, we're a Detroit Lions rival back in the old NFC Norris, right? Like back in, in the in the NFC Central days, uh, the 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 Bucks were in the Lions division. So yeah, we are not switching our allegiance to the freaking Tampa Bay Bucks. Are you kidding me? No way, no way. I'm even having a harder time rooting for Brady now that he plays for the Bucks than I did when he played for the Patriots. Like at that point, like you know, the Patriots they weren't they weren't a, a rival of the Lions. Like they weren't even in the conference. So whatever. Like yeah. Hope the Patriots win the Super Bowl this year because I know they're not playing the Lions in the Super Bowl. So whatever, love to see Brady get another one. You know, love go for it. Whatever for the Bucks, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not going to be a Bucks fan ever. You write that one down. I don't make definitive statements like that very often. There is a zero percent chance that I will ever be a Bucks fan, be a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, be a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Zero. Ride or die with the Tigers, with the Lions, with the Red Wings. I don't really care that much about basketball. But ride or die with the Pistons too. All right? Period. End of. Great question though. Thanks, Tom, for contributing as per usual. Last but not least, short, this would have been a better question if you'd answer, asked it like six days earlier than when you did ask it because it would have been the middle of the, the, the equation here. But the final question of this month's Q&A, how long has this episode been going on for so far? Have we reached quote-unquote quick tip length yet? Yeah, man, we're at, we're at, as I'm, as I'm looking at my numbers here, we're at two hours and 10 minutes. It's going to shuffle a little bit, um, to where we're probably at, I don't know, two hours and seven minutes, two hours and eight minutes. Uh, I think we've passed quick tip length. I think we've passed uncharted terror. I don't think I've been into two hours before. Um, but we are now and we are solidly into two hours. Whew, that's what happens when y'all ask a bunch of questions. And even, and you know, I made it through one little cough, coughing attack that may or may not have gotten edited out. I don't know. We'll see how that worked out. Um, but the voice is still going pretty good. The throat doesn't hurt too bad. I'm calling it a success and I'm going to wrap it up before, uh, before anything else goes sideways. So short, thanks for the question. Glad, you know, glad you got in on one, you know, wait till the last minute. You never know how that's going to play out, but you, you made the cut and we're long here. We are, we are beyond quick tip length, which doesn't happen very often, but we, we managed two hours and nine minutes, something like that. 
Goodness gracious. Y'all, thanks for putting up with me for two hours and nine minutes or whatever. Or an hour and 40 minutes when y'all dropped off when I got into my libertarian fantasy land. And uh, you're all like, screw this guy. Unsubscribe. Never listen to him again. Um, in any event, whether anybody's listening or not, thanks for, for, thanks for making it this far. Uh, appreciate the questions as always. Uh, next month's questions will go out somewhere in the middle of October. And uh, looking forward to answering them at the end of end of next month as well. Remember, uh, Facebook, Dizruns.com slash Facebook is a link to join the Facebook group. You can also just search for the Dizruns tribe next time you're on the old book of faces. Click to, you know, click to, hey, let, let me in. We'll let you in. Don't don't come in being all spammy and douchey and we'll let you stay. You know, it's we have a no douche policy. It's basically, I mean, that's, that's actually like the, the written policy is don't be a douche. So you come in and you don't be a douche. Hey, we'll let you stick around. In fact, we'll, we'll be happy that you're sticking around. Hope you'll jump into the conversation, share some memes, crack some jokes, all those types of things. Totally cool. You come in and be a douche, we'll, we'll, we'll just boot you on out the door. Problem solved. But uh, check us out. Come join the party. Get your questions answered there. And also, if you made it this far and you want to be on the podcast, I think you've earned it. I think you've earned an invite to be a guest on the show. If you haven't let me know that you're interested already, send me an email, send me a, a message on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever. Say, hey, dude, let me know. I'm happy to do it. I'll put you on the list. We'll get to you. We'll get to you. So uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking to as many of y'all that would be interested in chatting, sharing your story. Even if you don't think you have much to share, I promise you, you do. If you've been listening to the last six or eight weeks worth of episodes, you've heard from people that most all of them have been like, I don't know if I have anything to share. And we've had full episodes. So uh, I bet you do as well. And I would love to talk to you as well. Um, So let me know on that. And with that, I think we've probably crossed over two hours and 10 minutes now. This is a monster episode, y'all. I, ridiculous. Props to you for listening. If you listen to it all in one shot, it must have been a long run, right? Because even listening to this on 2X, this is longer. This is, this is still an over an hour episode on 2X. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. But thank you for listening. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for tuning in every Monday, every Friday, or whatever days you listen. I appreciate y'all. Uh, thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for supporting the show all the ways. Uh, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, until next time, y'all, please be well. Take care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? See you guys.